Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You are now listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the streets. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always in person, live in the flesh, by my partner in true crime, Mr. Franco Evans. Oh yes, wait right a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, man, I'm the mailman. Can't you tell, man? Gonna post a- What up, friend? Welcome back to the Pod Sanctum. Yeah, man. It's been a couple of weeks. How are you doing? Doing good. It's been a nice week. I've been off this week. Yeah. So I haven't been dealing with the bullshit that's going on in the post yeah, What service. a week you chose to take <laughs> off. I mean, we discussed it briefly last week, and yeah. it's now amplified yeah. even more where I feel like we have to discuss it yeah. uh, briefly, at least again this week. I mean, apparently the new uh, Postmaster General, who I ask you about all the time, you say it yeah. changes all the time. This new guy, Louis DeJoy, is like Lex Luthor, apparently. I mean, Well, um, I think there's more than one Postmaster. So that guy is like the Postmaster of... Everybody. Postmasters. Oh, he's the, oh, he's so the, I don't he's even the know. king. He's the king of kings. Yeah, I don't know who that yeah, guy is. Even, I've never even heard him tell yeah. a couple days ago. Yeah. So um, The king of kings. Those are those executives that have been fired, apparently. Those are other postmaster generals. Yeah, those are like top-ranked people. I don't yeah. know. You, he, yeah, yeah. You, like, you don't even hear those You <laughs> no. don't even hear those names. No. I didn't no. even know there was this much of a system and a hierarchy within the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah. When I asked you about the postmaster general, I just assumed it was like a president. Like, there's no. like a... a Postmaster General, and then a Vice Postmaster General, and like secretaries. Yeah, he they said he gutted so many positions of these executives that I was like, wait, so is it like state state by state? Like every state has a Postmaster General? I didn't even know it was that high. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, but he fired a whole well, he moved a whole bunch of them around. Yeah, and put a freeze on hiring. Yeah, any other Postmaster warriors? Yeah, and that's the trickle down effect. Yeah, and that's so, why we're at where we are now. Yes, so it's always it's interesting to hear the boots on the ground people because yeah. I read an article from, from the Baltimore Sun that's saying now starting to peep the the people are starting to get unruly. Yeah, where's like, where's my mail? It's yeah. been four days. I haven't yeah. you know, and because of things like overtime, de- de- uh, they're declining to give out overtime as much. You're starting to see, like you said, the trickle down effect to where the people are starting to be infected. And that's the concern 
that because this, this guy Louis DeJoy, this is where the conspiracy theory is. Yeah. This guy Louis DeJoy is a very big Trump donor and Trump supporter. Okay, I'm not surprised. And all of a sudden, they're, you know, and, and the post office has been going through their uh, funding situation for however long they've been. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, um, this guy comes in, he's gutting things, he's changing things around, and now the mail's slowing up. Yeah. Coincidentally, in yeah. air quotes, you know, now that could be uh, the pandemic piggybacked with funding things and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But this guy, Louis DeJoy, being in position and making these sudden moves has got people nervous that he's trying to sabotage mail-in ballots for the election. Yep. And um, that makes, but that makes people, the, the people that they can talk to, they can't talk to Louis DeJoy. They can talk to you. Yeah. And that's my concern is that I don't want people to feel like, well, I'm going to go talk to the, the mailman yeah. and ask him why my mail is. It's like you have no control over control it. Over people it. don't want to hear that. That's the that's the difficult one of the difficult parts about my job is people ask these questions like, you, I get, put the mail in the bag. you get what I get. It's, yeah. it's, I have no other answer other than that. Yeah. It's like, but with all this stuff going on, postal workers are being extremely overworked. Right. And they want a lot of they want a lot out of us. They want the mail to be delivered timely and efficiently. And it's like, how can we do that when we work in so many so many hours? In one, a day. one of the guys worked eighty hours last week, like a couple weeks ago. And that's in a week. And that's not like um, in some position. Like in my job, I could be, I could get paid for fifty six hours. Yeah. But I only worked like forty three yeah. of those hours. Yeah, like yeah. It's just like you're on the clock, but you're not doing anything. Y'all are out there, yeah, hitting routes, driving around, getting to different spots. Yeah. So when you say you worked eighty hours, you put in, you know, 15, 12, 15 hours every day every of day. that week. Yeah, and you got in the middle of the summer. I mean, that's yeah, it's and it's like you want people to come to work every day on a day off. It's right. like it's like, and we man, all like money, but I mean, you can't run people into the ground exactly. Like that. But that's what, and I don't want to shit bad, you know, shit talk to post service, but that's exactly what it is. It's like yeah. they old workers. Um, I felt like we get paid less than what we should. Sure, we get we get paid good money. Don't get me wrong. Right, but we do. I feel Especially like we, in times we like this, where you're, yeah, you get overworked. Yeah, so it's like it's a mess right now. It's like I'm at the. I was talking to Steph about this. Like, it might I might not be in there too much longer because it's like it's getting out, it's it's getting just, out of hand. It's getting out of hand. And my dad's like, oh, it's he. <laughs> I talked to him the other day, and it's like when you tell him stuff, mm-hmm. he's like, he goes, what? And it's like. Cause, Cause it's, it's so unfathomable it's so, from where he, from when when he was, went. Yeah, from the era when he was delivering. He's like, "What mail didn't go out?" I was like, "He was like, that is the craziest thing I ever heard about. It's never been, it's never been heard of." <laughs> Did they press the red button? You're like, "Oh, they took the red button out months ago. Yeah. They don't even. It, it, it's, they yeah. just accept it. People yeah. don't get their mail sometimes." Yeah, he was like, "That is the craziest thing I've never heard in his life." Like, it, I was like, "Dad is a mess." He was like, I, "Yeah, I got out at the right time." I was like, "It is." That place is going down. Man. Well, that's it's, why it's, we need we need you to come. <laughs> we need you to come here and continue to bring that yeah, A game, so that when we when we start these Patreons yeah. and, and we get, we get these sponsorships, and then you can just not we neither of us have to work anymore, and yeah. we can just do podcasting yeah. for a living. So I yeah. need you to remember, keep that in mind whenever you're yeah, out in that sun, and 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 people are like, "Where's my check?" Yeah, and, and you know, like, I don't have. Well, you you do have it. You're the postmaster. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm I'm not. I don't want to hear it. Have my check tomorrow, or I'm writing a company. When you get that, just yeah. remember, every week I come in here and I bring in a bomb ass story, yeah, and yeah. I come in here. We, I'm that much closer to not having to deal with this bullshit anymore. Yeah, but it, that makes it dangerous for us out in the street because it was the lady that was killed. Like, I think it was either earlier this year about when the checks were coming out, mm. and 
It was, I think this might have been like Indianapolis or something. You might have heard the story, but she was killed because one of the guys was like, you know, where's my check? A, a postal worker. A postal worker. He was like, where's my check? And I guess like what happened was like his dog was out. Uh, okay. He had like this vicious dog. And uh-huh. if the dog was out, we we're not allowed to go in. Go in. And she was like, well, you got to go pick it up from the post office. We can't do that. And then like a whole con- it turned into a confrontation. Right. And then she ended up being shot and she was killed. Wow. And like that, shit like that happens Over a lot. Over something she has no control. Control, yeah. Shit like that happens a lot. And then you got people that's like, oh, I haven't got my mail in four weeks, four days or whatever. And then they get all crazy with us. And, it's like, and that's you're the only face that they see. Exactly. And then they yeah. take the hang out on us. People can get hurt. People can get robbed. Fights. It's, 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 it's a mess, man. It's like, it's not even worth it. It's, yeah. it's really not. And especially, again, I mean, I'm sure it's always been a situation where you have to yeah. deal with stuff like this because unemployment always exists. But at a time where so many people are out of work and yep. so desperate, yep. first of the month, I need my, I need yep. my, I need my unemployment card yep. to access my money, and that's supposed to come in the mail. And you're like, well, I don't have it. Yeah. I don't have it, man. Yeah. You know, so it's like, well, you're the villain now. <laughs> yeah. So fix it. So yeah. go to the post office and go look through all the bags that you guys have there and bring me. My, it's like that's not how this works. Man. Yeah. I'll be back tomorrow with more mail and hopefully what you need is in there. It's yeah. like, well, you're doing, you're, you're the person who's doing something to me. And it's yeah. like, you know, and, and I, it's hard to explain. It happens all the time. Like a lady was like, she got like one check. Cause I see when they come in. So mm-hmm. she got one. She's like, well, I haven't get my disability check. Check your bag. I was like, I was like, I don't have anything in my bag. I just did this whole fucking, <laughs> this whole block. What do you mean? Check my bag. Lo- check your truck. I don't, I don't have anything. Well, if I can't get it, you gonna be, tra-. I was like, okay, lady, I'm gone. I was like, I just, that's, I, I love, I love when people, my favorite thing is when people get so upset that they're like, now they're telling you how your job works. Yeah, like, like what? Man, that's not, you know, it's like if you, if you're at a, like a, a hospital and you're like, well, just go get more blood from the yeah. thing. It's like, man, that's not how this, that's not how this works. Right. You don't, and you don't know how it works. Right. So why are you telling me, I'm telling you, I can't do that. And you're telling me it's so simple. Just go in the back and get more of the stuff. Yeah. It's like, that's not how this works. You don't know. You don't work here. I yeah. work here. Go in the truck. I'm sure it's. Did you look under the bags in the truck? It's, ma'am, it didn't fall out of a... Right. It's, it didn't fall out of a... They think it's that simple where it's like, maybe it fell in another bag. It's like, yeah. no, it, ma'am, no, it's not like that. But you yeah, don't but know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'll like you said, tomorrow. Like you said, they only, we're the only faces they see, so they want to ask us questions and take it out on us. But. Yeah, Louis DeJoy needs yeah. to get out there and talk to the people and explain to them yeah. his system and why he's shuffling people around and why the mail's so slow. He needs to get out there, hold some conferences, yeah. and get vocal because people need to know that the the people on the ground have nothing to do with the slow yeah you know i think and i and i what i what i think it makes it look like is the the post the male people are shitty yeah that's what it makes it look yeah. like so they're like you're not doing your job good enough mm. work harder that's what the people who aren't getting their mail are probably that's their first thought as opposed to all this stuff that's going on cuz they don't know what this shit is they're yeah. just like I, you know, oh, you're in your. I saw you in your truck eating your lunch yesterday when you should be delivering mail. Yeah. And people start getting shit like that where it's like, well, I'm ahead of my. Right. You don't even know what's ha- you don't know what's happening. Yeah. It's like the stories I saw was like this happened like overnight where like what I saw was Trump. Got it was was like his people was firing the executives for. I'm sure he put some phone calls. Yeah. In. If but we're also, going off of the conspiracy yeah, theory. Yeah. Also, I'm, I, this might sound surprising, but I am surprised that it's not one black person. That's an example for the post office. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I was like, they're all white. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's the story of America, man. It's like you're surprised. It's not one black not person. Even a, not even a token dude. Wow. Like a, a new, a new, young, funky, fresh, 
Yeah. Wow. Maybe we'll write that movie. <laughs> They're like, we need some diversity in the Postmasters. Yeah. Like we'll hire a young black dude with tattoos. That would be an interesting um, movie. Not, not one of them people ever carried a single piece of uh, no, mail in no, their no, life. No, 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 no. The dude, Louis DeJoy, has no experience in the postal industry. It's just like when you have enough money, they just give you a, they, you just get jobs that give you money. Wow. That's how the world works. So all of these wow. other executives are just dudes who had money and they're like, hey, do you want to run a branch of the post office? Yeah. Like, yeah, all right, yeah, cool. That's a good. What's the salary? They they don't even know what the job even entails. They learn like, on the go. And yeah, exactly. How much does it pay? <laughs> oh, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, I'm in. Wow. And then they keep that job oh. for a lifetime. But that's how it is with the the postmasters, the lower level postmasters. They like the last one we had was from Seattle, so they go they they bounce all over the place. Right. Seattle, North Carolina. I was like, what? Like, what are you? <laughs> it's like what you, what, it's not even the same. I'm sure it's yeah. not the same. This job isn't that. It's not that intense that you. It's not. It's like you need to be like, wow, man. oh yeah, I don't. I have no family. I have no children because my life. I'm like a bounty hunter. I yeah. go from a postmaster all over. The, really? Like, why? You get weekends off? Yeah. Even. Like why are you? Why? It's not this intense, man. Just you guys can just be the postmaster here for 20 years or something. It's like, wild, man. No, yeah. I, I'm a I'm a desperado. I bounce around. I can't sure have any relationships. You know. I Keep are you out in the heat? No. Yeah. Are you in the snow? No, you're not. Because <laughs> the FBI. <laughs> anyway, man. Yeah, no. But prayers and support to the USPS, yeah. man. I, I really feel for y'all. I hope that they get this whole thing figured up, figured out up top. Because the head of the snake, if that's a, if that, if that's chopped off, the the body, yeah, will fall. You what know? is this? So, what are we in August? It's August. What a year, yeah. man. It's only God. it's only August. <laughs> <laughs> it's only. There's still we still got to get through. Like Jeez. we still got to hear the tragic stories of, of of pandemic christmas of people being like i i can't afford to even yeah. keep the lights on as opposed mess, to get my kids they're asking for leapfrog tablets and all these you know because kids don't know what's going kids aren't like oh it's like a crazy time right now i won't ask for yeah the ridiculous thing that i'm asking for all those toys are still going to come out and get p- kids excited and parents are going to have to look at their kids and go we don't have any money to do that this year. Yeah. So we still got to go through that and Thanksgiving. And that's and the, and the thing about that is people are going to take, people going to put that first as a priority as getting their kids gifts mm-hmm. instead of paying bills and, bills and phone bills. and shit. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I need to get my kids something. Yes. Oh, I got to do what I got to do. The superficial thing yeah. first. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to be have a residual yeah. effect in January yeah. when there's people. Because I don't... I know where I fall, and we we felt felt kind of falling into this topic or whatever. Um, there is this whole thing of like landlords are really being villainized during this time, which I understand. Like I am technically a landlord, my tenant still is working, yeah. So I have not stopped charging them rent, yeah. If there was a situation where they couldn't work, I would work with them, obviously. Yeah. But it's like the the mortgage companies aren't doing freezes on mortgages so if i own a property and you're the renter of the property mm-hmm. it's like what am i supposed to do you know so it's weird to see like renters i'm sure some of them are assholes and villains where it's like yeah get out you aren't you know i, I don't want to hear any kind of like payment plans or any you i, I have somebody it's who will business. pay me for full money yeah. every month right now they have a job still so you need to get out and so they're like blocking off the entrances for people to be able to go to yeah. the court to because it's a big process to evict somebody. Yeah. And it's like villainizing people who have purchased property and is are renting it out to people in a time like this where it's like, 
I don't have a job is through no fault of my own, which I understand, but it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Cause I own, I own this building and I still have to pay the mortgage on it and I'm not making any money. Yeah. Now I don't advocate for kicking anybody out on the street, but I still feel for somebody who like tried to make a move in their life to improve their life. They mm-hmm. bought a property yep. to rent it out to yep. somebody. They rent, they're renting it out. And then this thing happens and there. And then you have to speak to a person who's telling you, Hey, um, I still need to live here, yeah. but I can't pay you the money that you need to pay for the property that I'm living in. And it's like, I don't, that's a hard thing to, that's a hard thing to um, come to terms with if you're the renter. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's, it's still a, it's still a business. Yes. It's still a business. But the argument like, is like, where's the compassion? Like, I, I don't. I get it. But how are you going to pay your bills? Yeah, I'm going to lose the house. Like, <laughs> then it, 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 the you'll you'll be out of a house in six months anyway yeah because i can't pay the mortgage on the house exactly and i I may lose the house because i can't exactly yeah you paying me rent helps me pay for the house but i seen another something came up was like like you said the renters i mean these um landlords are being villainized and then also it's like oh uh people shouldn't shouldn't have to pay rent right now because that's like that's i forgot the word they used but it was someone's like oh we shouldn't have to pay rent because of what's going on right if they like, put a freeze on like, if they put a freeze on mortgages, that's fo- different. And you still want to charge people for rent? You're a villain. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. The mortgage company is not trying to hear none of this. No, they will give you at very at the at the very most I've seen, which I don't even want to. I didn't even do it because I'm fortunate enough to still be working. What they will do is they will put your payments on hold for a couple of a, a few months. Mm-hmm. You still have to pay those months that you aren't. Pay- it's not like it's yeah. like. A freeze. Like, we aren't collecting any money, and then we'll pick back up in August. It's like, yeah. no, we're going to charge you for August and September and October, and we'll put them on the back end, yeah. or you have to set up some kind of payment plan once your three-month uh, reprieve is up. Yeah. But they'll give you a couple of months of no payments, but you you still have to pay that money back, and you have to go through all this stuff, and it's like basically a loan, where yeah. I'm like, I'm not even, this, is, this, is not, this isn't going to help me, because yeah. I still have to pay the money back, and I have to like, leverage my my credit and all yep. these things it's not worth it so as opposed to that what what do you want people to do yeah like but- I, i'm gonna lose my the house that you're staying in if i don't have rent so i need to i have to put you out to put somebody in that could pay the rent or i'm gonna lose the house exactly but it's like somebody not having to pay rent i get it if you don't have a job but that is these are how some people live off being a landlord yeah. like that's that's like that's like essentially you you losing the job because you don't have nobody to pay you for you to pay this yeah for you to pay it's like it's like it's just it's a mess man it's, it's a complicated <laughs> that's that's, it's the, a mess. that's the slogan of 20, 2020. it's a mess it's a mess like, everything's that's a mess right. it's just just trickled down to all these Jesus. other things there's no other time in history where a person could say like oh I lost my job and I can't pay you the rent and it will cause a um, like a protest. Yeah. Where it's like, don't, don't make them pay the rent. But at a time like this, it's like, it's the one time I understand. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm out of a, I'm out of a job through no fault of my own. My industry doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I can't be a bartender right now. So I, that's my, that's what I am trained to do. That's the only thing I do. And it's not like I got fired from a bar and I'll go work at another bar. There's no bars. Yeah. So the whole New York scene is so it's many, deep. it's so many bartenders and, 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 and people that work at clubs and all this kind of stuff, it's dead. That's crazy. So it's like, I, I don't have any 
capability of paying they should throw a day party or something like outside yeah if you do your own little illegal thing that's cool but then you risk getting fined and all this kind of sick yeah exactly so it's just a crazy time man it's 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 it really is one for the books 2020 it's such a wild time i think for landlords out there if if you own the property and it's like it's free and clear i think you should help especially if you're if your rent your rentee is not your renter is not Working, I think you should help yeah. them out. Absolutely, some no. There's some. There's some. Yeah. There's something to be worked out. Yeah. Even if it's like, well, right now they can only afford to pay half the rent, or they're giving me weekly installment. Yeah. Some you got to work with people at a time yeah. like this. But also, people out there, don't be scamming your landlord. Don't be because people are making bank off of uh, Big time. unemployment. It's it's, it's it's something that's that not being discussed wild. because they're making it seem like Republican people are evil. But as somebody who's firsthand lives in Baltimore, where I know people where it's like, you make $400 a week. Yeah. I know that for a fact. And now you don't have a job, but now you're making $1,000 a yeah. week. Now you have a car and you rent out hotels? Yeah, oh, people, yeah people are going stupid. It's, I understand, like, the the material world is is benefiting from the unemployment stimulus. Yep. Very much for so. Sure. People are going to Gucci yep. and Standard buying lines. frames and all that. It's nuts. And I feel like that's not being discussed when they're going into these chambers and they're like, you can't take the unemployment money from these people. They needed to survive. And I'm that's true. Yeah. There's 100 percent people who are um, need food and all these kind of things. But there is a as a matter of fact, they just Maryland. They got like a 45. It was 45 million dollars in scams because there was people that like live in Virginia who were filing for unemployment in Maryland. So there's all kind of scams happen. Scammers are gonna scam. They're gonna yeah. find a way to hustle and get. And I'm sure that's gonna come back around once this whole thing gets figured out. Was like you owe us twenty thousand yeah. dollars for this money that we gave you. But my point is, it's such a crazy time. But there are absolutely people who are um, taking advantage of the money that they're getting and don't want to go back to working at Shoe City. No, or, and don't want to go back to working at McDonald's yeah. right now. It's like, why would I want to go back to making four hundred dollars a week when I'm staying home and I'm making a thousand dollars a week? Yep. And going to Miami. I mean, yep. there's people getting on planes and going on yeah. trips. People in Las Vegas and all kinds of shit. <laughs> and that's a and that's like, a, and that's a fact. That's this is not yeah. a political yep. statement. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about taking money from I anybody. I know people that's doing it. I'm not talking about canceling <laughs> the unemployment. I think people need it and all that kind of stuff. But it's a hundred percent thousands of people living. Yep. Off of this money, and I don't mean like living like surviving. I mean like, oh, I got an extra seven hundred dollars a week. I'm going to Miami yeah. and going to the cl- whatever clubs are open and I'm buying a Gucci outfit to go to my, that's a thousand percent happening. Yeah. So when I hear people saying like Republicans think that you just want to stay home, people don't want to stay home and get paid. It's like, no. yeah, they do. What are you talking about? Oh, you mean, oh, okay. I thought you meant like get, that, they're, not spinning. That's what I, I was the, the argument is in Congress right now is, is like, um, cut the unemployment okay. Republicans, yeah. extend the unemployment Democrats. But the argument, the arguments the Republicans are making is like, we don't want to incentivize people to stay home. Yeah. I think that is, it sounds like a shot, but I see it happening. Yeah. So I can't say, oh, they're evil. But the the, the Democratic Congress is like, the, 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 the Republicans think that you, that the American people don't want to work and just want to stay home and get free money. And it's like, who doesn't, who, doesn't? who yeah, wouldn't, yeah. who wouldn't want that? I don't think that that's a crazy thing to say because it's happening. I know people, I could say names on this microphone <laughs> yeah. of people that are like, are like, Oh no, this unemployment has been great. Like yeah. I've not been to work in 11 weeks and I've been making double what I usually make yep. to not have to go to work. 
Now, yeah. if you excuse me, I have a flight that I'm going to Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> like you see you in a couple of weeks. I'm going to Los Angeles for two weeks on the government's dime. That's happening. Yeah. So how much you get? Twenty two hundred. What? <laughs> it's crazy. What? <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's like, I just got off of work working twelve yeah. hours, and you you work, at, around you work <laughs> at Pep Boys. You don't make twenty two hundred dollars a week. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Yeah, man. I don't know. This money's crazy right now, man. They got fucking wow. Dior frames on, living life. Got a new Mercedes. It's people yeah. buying, like you said, it's people buying vehicles yeah. right now. Like yeah. nice ones. Not like, oh, I'm going to buy a little clunker real quick. I, I got some money from the government. No, so, no I'm, I, I signed a, <laughs> a lease. <laughs> like I'm, I'm leasing things off of this money that I don't even know when it's going to be up. Yeah. And right. And it's, and it's up. Yeah. It's right now. People are, it's a lot of people that overextended themselves with that money. And now that money is being threatened to be taken off the table. And there's a lot of people that's like, oh, this car is going to probably get yeah. taken away and all this kind of stuff. I got to get as many pictures for the gram as I can right now. <laughs> and so this is People all. living, man. Balenciaga wow. shirts. It's like, bro, I I know you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I know where you work. You don't work at a Balenciaga money store. You don't got Balenciaga money if you go to work. I know a dude that went from Baltimore to L.A. to Las Vegas renting cars. I'm like, oh, y'all, y'all living, living. <laughs> You doing it up, baby? This money, this money changed your life, baby. He's like, oh, oh I guess so. Shout out to you, I guess. <laughs> anyway, before we get to a break, I wanted to talk touch on this insane story because it kind of happened in our area, in the DMV area. Um, this dude was, um, his ex girlfriend accused him of sexual assault mm-hmm. back in October. They let him out because of the coronavirus, and then he kills the girl. What do you mean, let him out? Like his lawyers argued that he could get coronavirus while he was in jail. And so they let him out. What? And one of the first things he did was kill his girlfriend as soon as he got out of jail. Oh, yeah. And now, and then he killed himself. Wow. So when they went to go get him back. Oh, he can wait. Yeah. So I'm just going to read the story from the Washington Post. A man accused him of murdering an Alexandria, it's in Alexandria, Virginia. That's where Sierra's dad lives. Mm-hmm. An Alexandria woman who had accused him of sexually assaulting her back last fall died Saturday from a self-inflicted gunshot wound that occurred as the police were trying to arrest him again on Wednesday. The man's family issued a statement Saturday night saying that they were grieving the loss of both lives, which is like, you got to say that. I mean, yeah, I don't know how you approach like your kid being a murderer and then you mourn how you mourn them when they are like a villain. Cause you mourn up, up until that part of their life, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ibrahim Buachi who's 33 years old, had reportedly been in a relationship with Carla Dominguez before an allegedly violent incident in Dominguez's Alexandria apartment in October 10th of last year. Uh, Dominguez told police that Boachi broke into her apartment and sexually assaulted her. Boachi was charged with six felony counts, turned himself into an Alexandria jail on October 21st, so about 11 days later, and was ordered held without bond. Boachi maintained his innocence and his lawyers pressed for a quick trial. But then the coronavirus pandemic struck and all trials were postponed. So Boachi's lawyers said that his visitation had been cut off in the Alexandria jails. They needed to meet with him before the trial and that the jails were potential coronavirus hotspots, although Alexandria's jails had no cases at the time. They asked Alexandria Circuit Court Judge Nolan Dawkins to allow Boachi to post bond. So they basically used the coronavirus defense to get his bond because he was, he was held without bond. They're like, we need to bond him out. Yeah. He could get sick. 
and we need to talk to him before the trial and we can't go into the jail because it's dangerous. So you need to let him out so we can he can have a proper trial. He played it, that well. It worked. Yeah. And on April 9th, Dawkins, the judge, uh, he set a secured bond for Boachi for $25,000 over, over, over Alexandria prosecutors' objections. Now, this shit is crazy. The judge ordered Boachi. He ordered him. So he just said, no no ankle monitor, no nothing. No person, no tail. It like, should have been at least an ankle monitor. Yeah. At least. He just ordered him. He basically said, I'm going to let you out, but you have to stay in your home and do not leave except to meet with your lawyers and for pretrial services and do not have any contact with Dominguez. This is just words, right? Uh, the judge retired in June wow. after 26 years and did not respond to a request for comment and did not order an electronic monitoring bracelet for Boachi. So he now has made this grievous mistake. Yep. Two people are dead. This whole mess has happened, but he retired. So it's not even like he's going to be disbarred. Or, I don't even, there's no, there's nothing you can do to this yeah. judge. Oh, I'm out of here. Yeah, Judge Dawkins. That's it. He is just, he is, there's no um, protest to be had. There's no way to villainize him except like the court of public opinion, but he cannot be reprimanded in any way. Anyway, in early May, Greenbelt police found Boachi behind the wheel of his car at a Wendy's restaurant drive through and they alleged that he rammed one of their cruisers with his car. He was charged with multiple assault counts, drunk driving, and multiple traffic charges, but he was released on bond after one night in Prince George's County Jail. He's released on bond, and he's out on bond. Yeah. Causing mayhem back in May. He yeah. hit a police cruiser with his car. But, so what happened was, the Greenbelt incident would have triggered a motion for, from Alexandria prosecutors to revoke Boachi's bond. But the Alexandria Commonwealth attorney, Brian Porter, said no one from Alexandria had been notified that he was out on bond. So they arrested him and mm. let him out on bond because he's just some dude who was drunk at a Wendy's. They didn't they didn't like have on file that he's out on bond for rape. Yeah. Anyway. On July 29th, Dominguez was found shot to death outside her apartment on South Green Greenmount Drive in the town square at Mark Center Apartments. Two days later, Alexandria police obtained a murder warrant for Bo for Boachi. It's like they knew it was him. Yeah, it, it was like, of course, this dude who is accused of sexual assault, he gets let out on bond, no supervision, no ankle monitor. Of course, he's suspect number one. Um. But when they tried to go arrest him, he was gone. After several days of fruitless searching, the police issued a new release on last Tuesday saying Boachi had been charged in Dominguez's killing and asking for the public's help in locating him. The next morning, the U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force and Alexandria officers spotted Boachi's car in Prince George's County. As they moved to, in to arrest him, he shot himself. He died Saturday at a local hospital. And Buwachi's family released a statement Saturday evening saying, our brother and son, Ibrahim, died today uh, having taken his own life. We are incredibly saddened by Carla's death and wish this tragedy had never happened. As we lay our son to rest, we ask for peace for everyone involved as we grieve our loss. So this is just another example of women's stories not being respected, yep. women's safety not being taken into consideration. Yep. And they were able to let this dude out on bond because of a bullshit law lawyer reason which i don't i have my my issues with lawyers sometimes because you have to be sleazy and snaky and tricky that's the job yeah so they use the bullshit coronavirus excuse 
to get this dude let out on bond and the judge let him out on bond with no supervision, no ankle monitor, no nothing when he is in prison directly for a charge that somebody he's put against him who he knows where they live. He knows their name. He knows everything about them. And now he's just out free on the street and she's out free on the street and there's no protection being had anywhere in between. Yeah. And he went and murdered this woman at her house and then he killed himself when he was cornered by the police. Yeah. I just posted this on Instagram about a week ago, like about I st- I, with all the shit going on, it's still being overlooked that people were crying out for help and we're not yeah. doing anything with her Nessie and even even men, yeah, that's been crying out for help, and then it's just like, it's just another another incident. It's like, oh well, it'll go, it'll it'll blow over, and yeah. then somebody ends up dead. Yeah, and it's like, y'all was supposed to protect me. Yeah, <laughs> that is that's that's crazy. I mean, the story you did last week. I mean, um, the young lady who yeah. was killed, they she called the police. She yep. told them their story. They're like, ah, well, there's nobody here now. Yeah, you know, it's like, so I don't know what you want us to do. But I'm telling you, somebody's been knocking on my door. I feel th- I feel like there's somebody stalking me or yeah. trying to. Uh, we we didn't see him, so you know. And the same thing with this dude, Ibrahim. They they his 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 needs took precedence over this young lady Carla's needs. He was let out with no supervision, and he proceeded to kill the woman who was was responsible for putting him in prison because of something he did to her. Yeah. So um, rest in peace to her. And we got to do better, people. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I know that it's crazy times and it's coronavirus and all this kind of stuff, but can't just be letting people, people out of prison with no supervision and all. Nothing, no ankle bracelet or nothing. That's crazy. Um. Anyway, uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break. That dude probably didn't care. He's like, I'm about to retire anyway. Oh, that's what I mean. I mean, you. (laughs) He really was a judge who was like, ah, okay, whatever. You, You know. It, where you could probably grease his elbows. Come on, judge. Just do us this favor. You know, yeah. we need our... All right. It's my my last year. They're like they're talking about it over scotch. <laughs> it's my last year anyway. You know, whatever. No, no biggie. I'll let him out. Um, but anyway, uh, in celebration of the, my household being coronavirus free, um, I'm going to play a little Destiny's Child Survivor. You know, you know, me and Sierra feeling good. Fran's back in the building. The place is... It's, uh, scrubbed to the gills is disinfected and we are both six feet apart and we made it folks you know uh, prayers to anybody out there who's going through the same thing and wear your mask man we'll be right back And we are back. Fran, are you ready to um, digest my affirmative murder? Yeah. All right. My story this week is 
um, a story from across the border in Canada. Eh? And uh, it's the tragic tale of the Harrison family murders. So here we go. In the fall of 2000, fresh out of high school, Melissa Merritt started working at My Favorite Doll, a massive retailer in Mississauga, festooned floor to ceiling with Barbies encased in plastic cats. This sounds like the scariest store ever, yeah. by the way. I hate dolls. They are terrifying. Uh, Melissa was pleasant and smiley, even a little naive, some would say. Not long after she started her job, she fell in love with Caleb Harrison, a handsome young man who worked in the warehouse. Caleb had a kind smile, thick dark hair, and almost shy, childlike quality to his eyes. He was smart, sweet, and a hard worker, with a soft spot for pretty girls like Melissa. Once they got together, they were inseparable. Caleb would drive Melissa to and from work, and their co-workers would catch them making out with each other in their car before and after their shifts. So, you know, some young love, just, you know, y'all working at the same place, you know, know, all the little giggly, Gucci-geechies. Um, and, uh, they took their car, they took their lunches together and Melissa would cook dinner for him every night at 27. He was still boyish and playful and would tease her by farting in the lunchroom and holding her close while she squirmed. 20, 27 is a little old for games like that. I never played games like that, but you know, I mean, 15 or something like that is yeah. more of a. Maybe not even fifteen. What? Just fire and make them smell yeah, it. Fire, like, uh, you yeah. know, Dutch ovens. Any of those kind of things are not games for adults. Dutch ovens. What's, yeah, what you know, is you that? Never, you never Dutch ovened. It's like you fart. He's like in the, the cover. You fart and then you pull them in. You pull them under the cover. You like oh. make them come under the covers. Yeah, it's Dutch oven. Yeah, that's but that's gross. you shouldn't be doing that. At, you know, after sixteen. Yeah, you know, these, these are these are child games. <laughs> Uh, that one, that well, was different. We have we have a child. You can do something like that. I, I think it's hilarious. What farts? Yeah, like you farting. Everybody, yeah. anybody farts. Anybody farting. Farting. I think yeah. it's goddamn hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I take your word for it. You know, I hope they experience that someday. You know, where farts they make their resurgence of being funny. You yeah, know, we got like kids. Yeah, it's like oh, farts are funny again. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. It's something to so look we forward can, to. Ew! It's hilarious, man. <laughs> you stink! Like making it over exaggerated. <laughs> P.U. Like nobody even says that when something yeah. smells really. Like, <laughs> when there's kids involved, you can say shit like that. Yeah. Uh, that winter, uh, there was a death in, Har- in the Harrison family, and Melissa wanted to go to the funeral with Kayla to support him and meet his relatives. It would mean that she'd need to take off one day of work. And she was worried that her manager at My Favorite Doll would take exception to her request. Mm-hmm. So instead of asking for permission, she banked on forgiveness and went ahead and left her manager a voicemail instead of talking directly to them. Savage. So, so yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the day off. Yeah. You know, I'll be back tomorrow. With an emergency, anything? I don't know if she lied. I didn't hear the oh. voicemail, but I would hope she. Yeah. I would hope she lied. Yeah. But based on what happens next, I don't know if she did. I think she might just be like, I'm just a personal day, you know. So. Obviously, when the couple returned, Melissa was fired. Mm, she burst dang. into tears. She burst into tears in the store, and Caleb was furious and quit in solidarity. Oh, would you quit your job if your boo got fired right there in front of your face? Absolutely not. Because I need my job. Yeah, man. you know. Listen, I love. I depend you. on how old I am. Twenty-seven. No, I got. I got no, rent. Not twenty-seven. Yeah. Now this dude is. I'll get you as we as I continue the story. You'll understand why Caleb. Um, can just frivolously do things like this. Yeah. But you as a 27 year old person is like, 
nah, I can't quit. No. I'll I'll be home later and we'll I'll fart on you and we'll yeah. giggle and all that kind of stuff. I don't even know why I said it depends on age because I wouldn't do it. If yeah, I was like, I know, I need my <laughs> you know, it's awkward when she's like, I'm fired. Come on, we're out of here. It's like, uh Yeah. I still got like three more hours <laughs> left of Yeah. I love But you drove me here. Uh I know, babe. Um Uber. I'll sit I'll call the Uber and I'll pay for the Uber. But I I got I'm here to nine. Yeah. I wonder how often that happens, though. Like, like two people working quit. together at a yeah. store. And One of them get fired up and just quits. I don't know, man. In this economy, <laughs> after what we just discussed about the rent and everything, it's like, nah, I can't. I can't, yeah. I can't just quit this job. I need yeah. this job. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Well, it's not a tough one because I wouldn't do it. But it's a tough situation to be in. And I think most people would make the same choice I would, but it would be, like, hard. I right? wouldn't even do it if, if I hated the job. I will be more scared to do it, like, because of my dad. <laughs> you mean, like, specifically I mean, the post? Yeah, oh, oh, you yeah. mean, oh, just, like, quitting a job on quitting, the spot? Yeah, yeah you, you're not for that get... reason, be like, and I got to go home and, like, yeah, yeah I don't. I quit, what? I quit today. Why? Yeah. yeah. That's the, because no other adult man, when you tell him, it's like, because they fired my girl. Yeah. So you quit? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking type of dumb shit. Is, it's like, it's, it sounds all beautiful and passionate when you do it in the spot, but then you tell another adult person... <laughs> Who has a job yeah. and has been working for twenty years? Where it's like, yeah, well, they fired my girl because she didn't come to work. So she should have <laughs> been fired. So you quit? Yeah, I just in solidarity, I didn't want her to walk out alone. Yeah, he's not an idiot. That's dumb as hell. <laughs> then they make you feel it's like, oh damn, okay, I guess that was kind of dumb. Yeah, you don't even get unemployment because you quit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so yeah. So she got fired. He quit. And uh, within a couple of years, they were married and had two children. So it worked out. It's not like they ended up breaking up six months later and he quit his job. They okay. they 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 made and in, in, they made themselves into something. Yeah, they got married, had two children, a boy and a girl. Caleb was a devoted dad and even tattooed his kids' names on his right shoulder. Okay, but his marriage to Melissa was a rocky one that soon dissolved into bitterness and violence. Mm. During an argument in 2005, Caleb hit her. And after spending three nights in jail, was released on his own recognizance. The couple split, and he moved back home with his parents. Okay. In July 2005, Caleb was invited to a keg party. He was, which is, uh, he's tw- he's like he's like thirty at this point. I'm about to say he's living like yeah, twenty one. Like, exactly. <laughs> uh, he was invited to a keg party. He wasn't going to drink, as one of the conditions of his release was that he couldn't consume alcohol. He had borrowed his mother's Mercedes. And he told the three friends he was with that he'd be their designated driver. Okay. It's like, guys, I'm going to the keg party, but I'm just going for the party atmosphere. I'm not going to drink. I'm not allowed to drink. And also, more importantly, I'm trying to change my life. Yeah. That's a grown man so, move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in theory. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, but Caleb liked to drink. Oh. He was working construction at the time. And after his shift, he would often unwind at the bar before going home to his parents' house. He could usually handle his beer. Hard liquor, however, changed him. As the crickets sang into an empty suburban summer night, he allowed himself one drink, then another, Mm. then another. Mm. By the time he was ready to leave, he had consumed nearly three times the legal limit. Jesus. Caleb fumbled his way into his mother's Mercedes. His friends realized he was too drunk to drive. And instead of saying, hey, man, give me the keys. We're all going to walk home. They said, nah, man, we're not going to drive with you. But we'll see you later. So they let him. (laughs) <laughs> they, they let him drive. They're like, no, we don't feel safe driving with you, but we'll let you drive a vehicle still, but we don't feel safe 
It's like, we feel like we'll you'll kill us if we're in the car, but we'll still let you go drive yeah. off and potentially kill yourself. Those were Terrible friends. friends. Terrible friends. Terrible friends. You take the keys. Nobody drives. Yeah. If you don't feel safe to be in the car with this person, why would you let them get behind the wheel of a car? Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, Caleb was alone driving down Derry Road, heading home in another direction were four young men in a cab driven by Michael Raymond, a local taxi driver. As their headlights set upon each other, Caleb crossed the center line mm. and drifted into Raymond's uh, lane, colliding head-on with the taxi at about 60 miles per hour. Mm. Raymond was killed. Tom Falinski, in the back seat, broke an arm and a leg Damn. and fractured his spine from his L2 to his L4 vertebrae. Tim Corbett flew from the rear passenger seat face first into the turnbuckle between the front seat and the back, I mean, between the front and the back doors, shearing his scalp cleanly off his skull oh from God. his eyebrow to his ear. So no seatbelt. No seatbelt. Yeah, no, definitely no seatbelt. Yeah. If he flew, if he flew, <laughs> yeah, yeah there's definitely no seatbelt. Uh, both cars burst into flames. Mm. The other two passengers who were in the taxi cab managed to climb out of the taxi and into a ditch. As they stared back, their friends looked dead to them, mm. slumped in the back seat with the fire closing in. Neighbors along Derry Road raced out at the sound of the accident and pulled Corbett and Falinski from the taxi. And Caleb's friends, who were just up the street and witnessed the crash, ran down Derry and pulled him from the very car they had um, good sense to avoid getting into. Mm. So, I mean, this is like... That's crazy. The, it went very much like this. All right, guys, Um, you know... Good time, man. Keg, let's go, man. I'll take you guys home. Ah, Caleb, man. Um, we're good. We're going to walk, man. You're a yeah. little fucked up. Uh, pussies. Um, I'll catch you guys later. And then within an eye line of that happening, so two minutes, yeah. they saw him crash his car. Yeah. Like, so the immediately after you make your decision, you're like, oh, shit, we made the right decision. Caleb just fucking rammed into a car yeah. 60 miles an hour down the road. That could have been all avoided. Majorly, they could have just they just took his keys. Keys, right? Wow. I they should feel as now. I'm not saying so. He they, survived. Yes, Caleb, Caleb survived. Did. But who who died? The the, the driver. The driver of the, of the taxi is the only person who died. Damn. There was some pretty graphic injuries to the two of the guys, but none of the four passengers died. Only the driver of the cab mm. died. Um. So, Caleb's leg was broken. And he suffered a few bumps and bruises, but those injuries were minor compared to the ones he had inflicted on the passengers in the other vehicle. That's it. Yeah, they always say that you get hurt more, you get hurt less when you like drunk, you're drunk. And, and you're not because you don't tense up. That yeah. is what. Mm -hmm. And that's all he got so for he being got irresponsible. Broken leg, broken leg, and suffered a few bumps and bruises. He went in a head-on collision at sixty miles an hour and killed the driver of the other car, and that's he broke wild. his leg and had some scrapes. And then fucking mangled one of the guys. Yeah. Fucking scraped his skin from his eyebrow to his ear. And the other dude got fucked up. Yeah. Spine broke, leg broke, arm broke. And Caleb walked away like, oh, man, my leg. Could be irresponsible. You still come out on top. Yeah. That's the tragedy of what happens a lot of times, though. You, these drunk teenagers, they run people over, they hit people. And it's like, yeah. um, you know, I, yeah, I, I mean, broke That just arm. happened to somebody in the, in the area recently. That girl that was killed, rest in peace, uh, yep. Alexis Steele, that was killed by a drunk driver. Yeah. And she passed away, and he's the, the driver's still alive. Yeah. 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 It's tragic, man. It's the dark, it's the dark reality of, of life, man. Sometimes the way it should go, most of the time it never goes that yeah. way. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, like I said, his his leg was broken, and you know, he survived. He had killed a man and brutally wounded two more. As the flames climbed above the wreckage, he couldn't have known that by taking that first drink, he'd set into motion the events that would destroy his life, casting a dark cloud of death over everything that he cared for. Caleb Harrison was arrested and charged with impaired driving, causing the death and bodily harm. He made bail with the strict condition of which he included house arrest at the family home on Pitch Pine Crescent in Mississauga, where his parents, Bridget and Bill Harrison, had lived for over 30 years. It was an airy six-bedroom modern-style home with cathedral ceilings and high windows. So he, he, mm. came, he came from money, Yeah, it, which is, I think, is the reason he felt so comfortable with being like, they fired you. Yeah, You went to my family's funeral. Yeah. Fuck this job. I quit. It's like, when I you, only have this job because my parents like told me that I need to have a job. A lesson, yeah. yeah. And when you said Benz, I was like, he probably stunned. Oh yeah, that's the first like, thing I, I thought when you said I that. Got the Mercedes, <laughs> I got the Mercedes tonight. Yeah, I had that same kind of feeling as a teenager, except my mom drove a Nissan Xterra. Yeah, but it's still you couldn't tell me that wasn't a Benz at the time. <laughs> you know, it had like the aux cord and it was a big. Yeah, you couldn't tell me. I'm like, yo, I got the I got the Xterra tonight. Right, it was like, yo, let's, <laughs> we're hitting all the malls. <laughs> going to all the malls. He don't even drive the car in yeah. the mall. No, it's <laughs> like nobody sees me stay like you do stupid shit like you go drive up to the food court to like, man, what's going let me try to look through the doors of the mall see what's going Oh, you see? Yeah, no, that's yes yeah, me. This is me. This is my Xterra. Hey man, it's a parking spot right there. Well, yeah, I'm gonna go past. Yeah, I'm gonna, gonna go, go around. We're gonna go, loop. We're gonna loop. We're gonna go loop. Matter of fact, let's go drive around the whole mall oh, of the past all the doors to see if it's even worth our time. We're Xterra boys tonight. You know, that was, uh, that was the kind of life you lived. Days, so I couldn't man. even imagine it being a Benz. Yeah. <sighs> I'd be driving around the parking lot honking yeah. the horn. <laughs> the music is Clicking crazy. the keys are on my finger. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Auntie Ant's pretzel. What do I <laughs> What do I want? Oh, this? Oh, yeah. No, nah, it's a little Benzo outside. You know, yeah. something light. You know, whatever. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Can I get a pizza pretzel? Pizza pretzel. Shit's a fire, bro. You never had one? No. The pizza pretzel? No, You dip those. it in the marinara cup? No. Honey ants, I get the pretzel bro. dogs, the mini joints. Oh, those are fire as well. Yeah, dip it in cheese. Cheese, cheese. Yeah, cheese is next level, man. Fire. Anyway, uh, shout, out to, <laughs> shout out to Honey Ants yeah, Pretzels. Man. If you want to sponsor us, we are all so completely open. You know, we, <laughs> Completely we, open. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you want to send the sponsorship through, the email address is affirmativemurder at gmail.com. Right. P.O. Uh, box is up yeah. there. <laughs> you want to send the, <laughs> you want to send the cinnamon pretzels in the... <laughs> This uh, P.O. Box 24358, you know, just hit us up. You can send the pretzels right through. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> his mother, Bridget, was born in London, Ontario in 1946. Stylish, adventurous, and passionate as a young woman, she had been an actress uh, appearing on the London TV show Act Fast, as well as in plays at the Stratford Festival. It was backstage there in early 19 in the early 1960s that she met her future husband Bill, a Stratford native who worked in the costume department. Bill was athletic and handsome, with a magnetic smile and a taste for car racing and jazz. Okay. When they married in 1969, they moved to Mississauga. Bridget worked as a teacher, then as a principal, and eventually serving on the school board. So this is just oh, a, moving this up. This is a hard-working couple, man. Yeah. Uh Bill uh, I mean it's, yeah, school board uh, and she was beloved. She was beloved by the students and colleagues. Yeah, Bill was an executive for Sobeys, and Sobeys. I looked it up. Sobeys is like um, 
it's a it's a it's a Canadian grocery store chain. Okay, I would liken it to like from the pictures I looked at. It was I would liken it to maybe a Whole Foods or maybe All right. um like a, a a nicer grocery store, not mm-hmm. like a discount grocery store, like a nice. And he was like an executive, so he okay. you know it's not like one branch or anything. He like oversaw the decision. Like we're gonna make avocados. 99 cents this month to see how that he made those kind of decisions. Oh, shit. He, okay. contr- he was in the, the upper offices. Yeah. Yeah. He was the postmaster general yeah. of Soviets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So he, he, he had a nice job. She had a nice job. Yeah. They were, you know, just a couple hardworking adults. And um, he also volunteered as a big brother and as a little league basketball coach. Okay. He had a green thumb and was the family's gardener. So it's just like a, a oh, beautiful okay. suburban. Caught me off guard with that. You know, like in his spare time. Like he wasn't like a gardener. Yeah. <laughs> like in his in his spare time. Yeah. They had a nice beautiful garden in their backyard. Okay. You know, so he would grow them some fresh vegetables and whatnot. Um, the couple couldn't have kids naturally. So they adopted Caleb in 1973 when he was six months old. Bill always called his son his best friend. Mm. So this is just a beautiful couple, man. Hardworking. Yeah. They couldn't have kids on their own. They decided to adopt. You know, which is a decision a lot of people don't make because of those stigmas of like, oh, I want my kid to look like me and all this kind of stuff. So it's a lot of kids out there that need love and more people should consider adopting. Even if you can't have kids, maybe you should consider adopting a kid that needs love. Man, There's a lot of kids out there that need love. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, after Caleb's accident, justice proceeded slowly. His defense lawyer was unavailable to, pre- to represent him at trial for a number of months. And then the judge presiding over the case fell ill. The trial was put off for another year. Mm. And then Caleb's lawyer was again unavailable. I'd have been like, look, man, we have to do the yeah. trial. You have to get another lawyer or something like that. But these might be those little tricks, yep. you know? So his lawyer was again unavailable after a year and the judge being sick and all that kind of stuff. When the preliminary hearing finally commenced, the crown, which is, you know, that that's Canadian government stuff. I don't really know. The crown realized it hadn't sent out summonses to a number of witnesses and the case was pos- was postponed yet again mm. after a three-year delay so Kayla's been out on bond living his life um for three years after killing somebody and, and injuring all these people he got to be out for three years because the case just was a mess yeah so the, the, it was po- after a three-year delay Caleb's lawyer argued that the client that his client's charter right to a speedy trial had been violated and that his case should be dropped a judge dismissed the motion immediately. Yeah. But you got to, you, you're a lawyer. You got to try. You got to try. Yeah. try. It's like, this has not been a speedy trial at all, judge. You're sick. I can't, I haven't been able to come sometimes for personal reasons. He doesn't even want to say. Yeah. Uh, for personal reasons. I haven't been able to, this has been three years. We should just throw this out. No, we're not doing that. He murdered, he murdered a person. Oh, so. uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're not doing that. Uh, Melissa Merritt was outraged by Caleb's car crash taking it as proof that he was una- he was an unsuitable father. Mm-hmm. So this is where it gets into this from this point on pretty much this is watch who you have kids with. Yeah. Cuz it's just mess. And the mess leads to tragedy which again I'll get to, but it's just all mess and pettiness and you know, baby father drama, baby mama drama, then they get in relationships and then the people that they're dating don't you know, they they hear you talking all day about how awful this person is, so then they hate the person. And yeah. It's just all a mess, man. And so before I continue, this is the most extreme case, but I really implore people to really think about this person. If we had a kid, can I function with this person for 18 years of this person? Will it be a cordial relationship? Can we co-parent properly? If not, wrap it up, 
birth control, yeah. dude, fucking dental dance, all of that. Do it all. Because personally within my family, I see a lot of similarities in the story to something that's going on with my uncle where you have kids with people who you don't know at all. And then you have this mess of a relationship. You guys don't like each other. There's a kid involved. You can't talk to each other as adults. It's just a mess. It's chaos. And it's not healthy for anybody. The kid yeah. it's not healthy for anybody. So that's my little um, PSA before I get into the rest of the story. So like I said, she was outraged about the accident. She considered him an unsuitable father. She became fiercely protective of her two kids. As both sides awaited the decision of, in the drunk driving case, another judge had ruled that Caleb and Melissa would share custody of the children. Meanwhile, they had both fallen in love with people that they had met online. Caleb was dating Corinda McEwen, who had two children of her own. <clears throat> the Harrison family embraced her as one of them, and she became especially close with Bridget. She considered Caleb an excellent father, attentive, tender, and always interested in talking things through with his kids. Mm -hmm. So that was her experience with Caleb. Melissa's experience didn't go that way. And yeah. that happens sometimes. Sometimes it's like this dude hit her and all these kind of things. And it might just be because they aren't a suitable. They shouldn't be together. Yeah. They are volatile. And then Caleb meets this woman and she has two kids and she's like, he's a, he's a delight. Yeah. You know, sometimes people just aren't compatible. You should never put your hands on a woman. That's never or, you know, no matter how incompatible you are. But her experience with Caleb was different than Melissa. But they just met, though. True. But the family embraced her. You know, it might have been a fast introduction to the whole situation, you know. That's probably how it went when he met uh, Melissa. Melissa, yeah. yeah possibly. Mel Melissa, meanwhile, had started a relationship with Christopher Fator, who worked at, as an occasional security guard. A Green Bay Packers fan, <clears throat> he was also, he was built like a linebacker himself. He was doting and protective, deeply loving towards Melissa and her children, and filled with a deep disdain for Caleb. From his left elbow to his wrist, he had a tattoo that read only the strong survive. And I assume it was, I didn't see it, but I assume it's like in that cursive. Yeah. You know, that, that cursive, everybody, every, every white dude in the uh, mid to uh, late 2000s had like a cursive elbow tattoo. Where it's like, you know, family first. And it's like all and the the the, <laughs> the, the F is the famous the famous uh clothing brand yeah. F and then you know and then it's terrible like, idea. Yeah. <laughs> the tattoos, man, that yeah. people, that you know that were the famous F. Yeah, I, the tattoos that were like Are you still around? No. No. They're not. Man, that was my shit too. Yeah, yeah. The tattoos that were trendy, like when girls were getting cheetah spots and these that things. That still is that, trendy. That is still trendy? Yeah. Oh. Then I'll move on. Then I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> <clears throat> he said I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah, I mean, I thought they stopped. So <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. I lost my spot. Sorry. Uh, oh, I was talking. I was talking about um, Christopher Fator and how he doesn't like he doesn't like Caleb Harrison. Uh, Melissa and Caleb never formally divorced, but she and Chris still had a ceremony of their own. Melissa in a white gown and Chris in a kilt and jacket. Is that legal? It's not. See, that's the thing. That's always the thing where I think it's funny where it's like, you aren't married until you go to the courthouse. Yeah. So you can have a party where you guys say like, oh, we're committed to each other. Yeah. Even if you're still married, you can have a wedding ceremony. Okay. But yeah, legally yeah, yeah. you're not married, yeah, right, right. but we held hands and exchanged rings and committed to each other. Okay. You can do that. It's like a commitment ceremony. Yeah. 
Um, so that's what they did, but they weren't technically married. But legally, 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 legally they, they are. are, but they are still married. They haven't got divorced. Yet. No, yes, yeah. legally, Caleb and Melissa are still married, yeah. but they are not on speaking terms. They don't like each other. And Christopher and Melissa had a wedding ceremony. Yeah, to commit to each other. Um, they plunged a knife in, uh, together into a cake and oh. adorned. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they murdered a person at their wedding. So they plunged a knife into an old lady. Uh, no, they plunged their knife into a cake and adorned uh, his and her crowns mm. and their hands in, intertwined on the hilt of the the, the knife. Like okay. they both held them. They, yeah. You know, cute, cute shit. Yeah. At my wedding, there will be none of that shit. Don't put cake on my face. Why we're not? not. We're not doing that. Why not? We, we can eat, feed each other the cake, but I plan on having a very nice suit on at my wedding. Ain't no cake getting on my suit. We can feed each other little bits of cake. Adorable. Take the photos. Whatever. Don't <laughs> take your hand. No, face. it ain't happening. Cake face. It's gonna be all the fun. The records are scratched. All the geegees, and it's done. I'd be no, like, why, no, why would you do that? No, like, it, it's so. It would no, so quickly be like, <laughs> cake on my face. Why would you do that? We discussed this before. Why would you put cake on my face when I told you I don't want it? And then it's awkward. People are like, oh, oh my God. Well, it could have been like Mia Less. Mia that come behind you. You put cake on? Oh, no. We're fighting each other. <laughs> I'm talking about if Sierra did it, we would have a discussion. You shouldn't be touching my cake with your bare hands and putting it on my face. What the fact that you even think that you even said that, yeah, it's going to be um, some fucking ropes around the cake. You're not allowed near hey, the cake. Hey, 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 I less, will bring, hey, less, less, hey, man. I will bring your cake. Hey, less, hey. I will bring your cake to you. You and less. You're not allowed near the cake. Hey man, you don't know what we got planned, man. You, I don't. And you don't, so you're not allowed you near the cake. So All that's right. it. That's done. You 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 spilled the beans on your plant a little too soon, and now you've ruined it. I didn't you're not spill a, anything. Not allowed near the cake. Hey less, less. Shout out to my boy less. Hey man. I will continue he got, my. He got he got the sign. I will continue my story. Uh, Chris later inked a wedding band around his finger. I think this is a terrible move. I, you know, even if you're very confident that your love will last forever, don't get tattoos of names and and rings. And oh, he got a tattoo of a ring. Yeah, he got like a wedding band tattooed around okay. his finger. Um, Melissa and Chris, but it doesn't say Melissa did the same thing. I don't mm. know if she did or she didn't, but it doesn't say it. Melissa and Chris welcomed their first child, a girl. In the spirit of the icy-hearted slogan on his fore- on his forearm, only the, only the strong survive. Mm-hmm. Chris had taken it upon himself to create a Facebook page rallying for the stiffest possible sentence for Caleb. Oh, he wrote on Twitter, "This is Caleb Harrison, the dick that killed someone drinking and driving. He's unfortunately also my my wife's ex husband." He posted a doctored photo of Caleb with devil horns and menacing teeth. And a speech bubble coming out of his mouth that read, "Give me a beer and the keys to my mommy's Mercedes." Um, this was a Facebook post. Yeah. Do you have the post? No. Oh. But I also want to say, no matter, I think Caleb, what Caleb did was super fucked up and despicable. This is sucker shit. Yeah. You should not be posting about your girls. He's all ex. in. Yeah. You, He's all in on it, that. Though. You, it's none of your business. I mean, you can listen and talk to her about what's going on with that situation. But when you start posting altered pictures and calling for him to be what's going on with his case and all this kind of stuff. It's like you're all in that man's business, man. Yeah. That's, that's too much. You shouldn't be doing that sucker shit to me. She got him riled up though. Yeah. Cause, but every night he has to listen to her yeah. say how awful he hit me. He's a terrible person. The kids aren't safe around him. So she definitely gassed him up. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> but as a man, I would never allow myself to get out of pocket like this where it's like, I'm, 
this involved in this man's life. You know, it's like, what's are the kids? If it's one thing about the kids, that's one thing. But like his case is his business. And you putting up devil horn photos of him and being like, oh, my mommy's Mercedes. He's yeah, a little Josh. rich kid. It's like, what are you? Come on, man. We're all grown, man. Yeah. Um, well, neither one of them act their age, but. But that's the yeah. funny thing. It says in here, like Caleb was like, I'm not saying that shit no more. So now you look she extra, up, yeah. you look extra suckerish. <laughs> and the ex, the Melissa looks like she still has feeling. You know, yeah. boy, I'd be like, if Caleb wasn't engaging back, it's like, well, we should stop this. But it yeah. didn't, which I'll get to. Anyway. Uh, he saw Caleb Harrison as a dangerous, drunken, rich kid who was imperiling the lives of, of the children Chris was now helping to raise. He was soliciting 100,000 signatures and asked people to forward the page to everyone they knew. This man has gotten away with too much already in his life, Chris wrote. It can't keep happening. Does that work? Did, did I ask you that before? These these pledges and all that type yeah. of shit? No. Oh. I mean, sometimes I guess they work, but... They work in spreading awareness, but it's like if he got a hundred thousand signatures, it's not like the judge is going to be like, "Well, Chris got a hundred thousand signatures, so Caleb, you're going to jail for life." That's what I mean. Like, yeah. does it does it go? Does it count towards anything? People go like, awareness. I feel like they go when they when that comes up. I feel like it's like is that person going? Oh, we need to get this many signatures, and then we'll move on or something like that. No, oh. rarely. I don't know any cases where it's like we we did it, guys. We got a thousand signatures, so they have to close the McDonald's down now. Yeah. It's like no. <laughs> You just spread awareness. I think okay. that's what I think that's the purpose of these um gotcha. signatures, papers, and all this kind of stuff is to spread awareness. Uh, as the impaired driving uh, as the impaired driving trial dragged on, the acrimony between the two families reached critical mass. Mass. Melissa filed a number of complaints with both the ch- the Children's Aid Society and the police about Caleb's supposed ill treatment of their children. So now she's saying he's beating the kids. Yeah. Few of those allegations could be substantiated. A judge presiding over their custody dispute suggested that Melissa and Caleb communicate only in writing to keep things civil. And so she became a prodigious letter writer. Bill and Bridget were actively involved in raising the kids, which irked Melissa. So she's mad that his parents are a a strong support system for him. Mm -hmm. Whereas like maybe one night she sees a photo on Facebook where it's like Bill and and his, the wife are taking care of the grandbaby for the night, and then Caleb's like out. Yeah, so she's like, "That's not the, when you have we have split custody. You take care. It's that kind of shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, where's that's like petty bullshit. Yeah, like he has his custody, and what he does at his time that's his business. Whether or not it's cool is a different conversation. But you shouldn't be over there like he doesn't even take care of the kids when they're over there. The grandparents do. It's like, girl." <laughs> the kids will be at your house on Saturday. Yeah. This is my time. This is how I feel as a person who doesn't have kids. I don't know. It just I don't it's just crazy. Anyway, <clears throat> to be to have an issue with the grand the grandparents taking care of the kids is like too much to me. Uh Yeah, she accused the Harrisons of neglecting her daughter, which she called uh which she called disgusting. She complained that she had to accommodate not just Caleb's work schedule, but his parents as well, even though the children were supposed to be his responsibility. And she said Caleb couldn't care for his children, and he dumped them into the laps of the caregivers, which were his grand, which were the grandparents, which served only to estrange them from their own mother, which I don't even know 
what that means. Like them having a relationship with a strong relationship with their grandparents would hurt her relationship with the kids. I don't even that's I don't know. I don't know about that. Maybe that's a thing, but it sounds foreign to me. You don't have to be in your kid's face all day. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it's you don't go to the parents, that's that's fine. I don't, yeah. I don't see the big deal. The battle started to get sinister when Melissa accused Bridget of writing Caleb's letters for him and told her to butt out of their business. So now Melissa is accusing his his mother, Bridget, of writing their corresponding letters, like, because that's what the judge said they should do is write letters to each other. She's like, your letters are too nice, ri- too nicely written. Your mother's writing them. It's like, what does it matter? Yeah. Why do you care what I'm doing? And again, I think it's more of like at this point she's like written him off as spoiled and he gets everything handed to him and I think that makes her angry. Maybe yeah. her life didn't go that way and she didn't have these kind of things. So she's like, "Your mother's writing your letters about your kids to about the judge. That is you are you are useless." Yeah. And it's like, you know, why is that even who cares? Yeah. Um but yeah, so she told she told she's she's just insisting that Bridget and Bill butt out of their business with the kids. She accused the Harrisons of slapping her son and took it upon herself mm. to withhold the children from the family. Convinced she was doing her motherly duty by keeping them safe from the dangerous man and his enablers. But a judge intervened and upheld the shared custody ruling. Yeah. Adding a clause stating that the police should be notified if the Harrisons were denied access again. Mm. So she's breaking the rules yeah. based on things that she's making up in her head and she has no proof of. So she didn't allow them to come get the kids when it was their time to have custody. And that hurt her. Cause like, well now you have on record that if you do this again, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. But she's like, no, but they're, e- they're the evil one. So now she's starting to look crazy. So she's trying to get full custody or is that she doesn't want or? them to, yeah, she doesn't want okay. them to have any visitation. Cause gotcha. she's saying like he's hit, he hits the kids and the grandparents are enablers and they, you know, all this stuff. And he's on trial for killing somebody and hitting her. I'm not saying Caleb's like this delightful person, but she's going overboard as far as the parental thing. Yeah. His business with his trial is so it had nothing to do with with that. No, she's saying that was the oh. ki- that was the igniter. Oh, okay. Where they're already separated and whatever. But she's like, he killed a person. Yeah, I don't want my kids around him. But then she's going further with the letter. The, the, the she, she's saying the mother's writing the letter. Yeah, she doesn't like that the grandparents are taking care of the kid. All these things. It, it's, it's just like you're too. You care too much about what's going on in his life. But again, as a mother, if she really thinks her kids are not safe there, hey, I I don't know. Yeah. You know? Anyway, uh, during Caleb's trial, Melissa and Chris would go to the trial, sit in the back of the courtroom, and whisper things to each other. On at least one occasion, they would make faces at the Harrisons. As court adjourned, so I want to make it clear, like, as I'm, more stuff comes up where Mm -hmm. I'm not just, I'm not just like on Caleb's side, right? There's more stuff. Here's some more stuff that I'm getting into. So they would go to his trial, make faces at the family, and, and whisper, oh, these pieces of shit, man, all this kind of stuff. Then as after the trial was over, Melissa and Chris were sworn by, in the hall by reporters, and they happily would talk shit about uh, Caleb and his family, and they're awful, and all this kind of stuff. And then after doing all of that, being injecting themselves fully in the trial, talking to the press, they would pull their car around to the front of the Harrisons and make agitating gestures towards them as they're leaving the court. Yeah. So they were f- just fully there to just incite them and, and agitate. And and then just the childishness of like, All right, hurry up, get to the car so we can get to the front of the thing yeah. while they're coming out. And then like, eh, stick your tongue out, <laughs> flip, flip, flip them off and yeah. all this kind of, it's like, why are you, it's I not, mean, 
this trial isn't a this isn't like a custodial trial. It's a trial for him, something separate. Yeah. Why are you even at the court at the courtroom? At yeah. the courthouse? Like, why are you there? It's so petty. Um uh Caleb refused to engage with uh with their hysterics, but Bridget was troubled by it all. So his mother was like, This has gone too far. Yeah, these people are, up. Yes, these yeah. people are crazy. And Caleb's like, Mom, it's whatever. Don't worry about it. On March 9th, 2009. Caleb was convicted on one count of impaired driving causing death mm -hmm. and three counts of impaired driving causing bodily harm. The judge sentenced him to 18 months uh, at Maplehurst Prison. Wow. Killed a guy, fucked up. Another. That guy's never going to be the same. He fucking broke his back and all that yeah. shit. 18 months. I don't know how you come to that conclusion, but... That happens in the United States. It's not, I'm not, this isn't a, like a slight against Canada. That happens in the United States all the time. Yeah. People kill people in car accidents. like 24 months for vehicular manslaughter. Yep. Um, but if Melissa and Chris were, ho were hoping their custody battle was now over since Caleb was incarcerated, they were both about to be sorely let down. Mm. Bill and Bridget, who they got a little bit of money. They're, they're upstanding citizens in society. So they, things work differently when you have those kind of resources. Yeah. Not that not that no other grandparents could do this, but they on paper they're a very um suitable household to raise children in. And in real life, honestly, these are these are very upstanding citizens. Bill and Bridget filed a motion to transfer Caleb's custody rights to them while he was in prison. So they thought, like, oh, Caleb's in prison, so now I'll just get full custody, is no. what Melissa thought. And so Bill and Bridget filed this motion. It was accepted. And less than two weeks after the sentencing, the judge granted the motion writing that where Caleb's name had been, Bill and Bridget's would now appear Yeah, until he gets out of prison. Almost a month later on April 16th, Bridget came home late, uh, late around 9 p.m. from a school board meeting. The house was silent and dark, and Bill didn't answer as she called his name. Minutes later, she found her husband. He was in the, he was in the main floor bathroom with the lights off, dead. Mm. Bridget called 911, where she was quoted as saying he's not breathing. Um, she also said, she, she, she said he's, he's not breathing. Oh my God. He appeared to have removed his wedding ring and crucifix next crucifix. Wait, he removed his wedding ring. Yeah. Maybe to wash his hands or anything. I don't have any, I'll get to why I don't. Hold on. This is the, this is the parents. This is the husband. This oh, okay. Is Bill. All right. Okay. This okay. is Bill all and right. Bridget. Bridget comes home. Yeah. Bill's dead upstairs. Yeah. Uh, he appeared to remove his wedding ring and his crucifix necklace um, he took out. He, he also appeared to have taken out his Swiss Army knife, and brought blood pressure and pain medication with him into the bathroom. Mm. One of the officers at the scene, a rookie in his second year, wrote in his notebook: "Sudden death. Doesn't appear to be any foul play." But the argument is that he wasn't experienced enough to make that decision. Uh, yeah. It so happened that in the days leading up to Bill Harrison's death. His grandchildren, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to him or anyone else in the Harrison family, had told their parents that they were going on a trip. On the very same day that Bill died, in violation of a custody order, Chris and Melissa packed up their home, dyed their kids' hair, wow. unplugged from the grid, and disappeared. Mm. The birth of the birth of modern day. This gets into forensic stuff for a little bit. Um, just be, because it all it all comes back around to make sense. The birth of modern day forensic pathology in Canada coincided with the death of Bill Harrison. 
Most of the developed world started training forensic pathologists in the 1960s and 70s. It took Canada 40 more years to train their first. The only reason Ontario eventually modernized the discipline of forensic pathology was because of the catastrophic failings of one man who purported to practice it. Charles Smith, a tall and trim man bespectacled with uh, prematurely gray, graying hair that gave him an aura of authority. Smith was a pediatric pathologist at Sick Kids Hospital, which is a terrible name for a hospital, Sick Kids Hospital in, in Toronto from 1981 to 2005. He had no training or accreditations as a forensic pathologist, but by the 1990s, he had come to be regarded as the expert in the field. Just like mm. how we were saying about the Postmaster General's thing where this dude just was kind of at the right place at the right time yeah. and got this job that he had no experience in. Yeah. And became like the dude. He was like the guy you go to in a field that he has no knowledge in. Mm. Uh, they answered it within the thing. What's the difference between a pathologist and a forensic pathologist? The former studies the living and the latter studies the dead. Forensic pathology has its own body of knowledge, professional training, medical journals, conferences, and more. And yet in 1992, Smith was named director of the Ontario Pediatric Forensic Pathology Unit. Not because of his qualifications, he had none, but because he was the only person willing to take the job. Wow. Smith had declared himself the leading mind in his field, and his authority went unchallenged for a quarter century. He lectured extensively to police, court. I mean, this is the dude talking as confidently as you can, and he knows nothing about the field. Yeah. But he just, he's the guy. He got the job because nobody else wanted it. Uh, so he would speak on all the, anything that had to do with like murder cases or anything, they would call him, call, you know, Charles Smith and what is he, what does he think? Uh, his methods revealed his near total ignorance of forensic pathology. He almost never visited the scene of the death he was investigating, which is the basic first step. Yeah. He would rarely collect germane medical information of the person whose autopsy he was performing to see like if they have like a bad heart, mm -hmm. high blood pressure, whatever. To maybe that had something to do with their death. He wouldn't do that. And um, and the data he did bother to gather was disorganized. He also took great interest in the deceased so-called social history, the details of their personal lives that rarely had any any scientific bearing. Yeah. So he was the type of guy that would say, well, she's a sex worker, so that's why she died. It's just That's just how the, you know, or... Um, she drinks a lot, right? Yeah, that's probably has something to do. He go off of word of mouth things about how they interact in society as opposed to science, which is the job. Going off something anybody else can just say and say. Yeah, I heard she smokes crack. And he did this for what twenty five years? Yeah, wow. And what not just did it? He was the guy. He was the Supposedly. he he was the the number. No, I'm literally like if the police. Like, let's say you're a prosecutor and you need to. You know how they call in experts to yeah. to explain to the jury what happened? They call him, and he'd go up there and explain that this woman was addicted to crack cocaine, and so that's why she died, not not because this guy stabbed her. And then the jury would go, oh, wow, well, this guy's an expert, yeah. so not guilty. And then people would get acquitted for things based on his, his words. Mm. He was that guy. He was the guy, the expert in the field, just based on time of him doing it, not because he had no knowledge of the subject. Uh, though Smith was little more than an avid amateur at forensic pathology, 
His findings or testimony at trial often sealed the fate of a criminal defendant. In one horrifying case, Smith determined a man named William Mullins Johnson had sexually assaulted and strangled his niece while babysitting her. He was convicted and served 12 years in prison before his wrongful conviction was overturned in 2007. The office of the chief coroner conducted a review of the homicides and criminally suspicious deaths that Smith had overseen and found that in 20 of the 45 cases, his testimony report was suspect. A dozen of those cases resulted in a criminal conviction. Smith's career ended in abject disgrace. Mm. So he was at a 50% clip. He was wrong. And people, when they looked back over, it was like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, uh, so he, he ended his career disgracefully. A public inquiry was commissioned in 2007 to survey the state of pediatric forensic pathology in, in Ontario. Headed by Justice Stephen Gouge, his findings came to be known as the Gouge in Inquiry. One of its key recommendations was that the creation of the Ontario Forensic Pathology, Pathology Service and oversight body for forensic pathologists be created. The plan was to set in motion mere months before Bill Harrison's body was discovered locked in a darkened bathroom. So right at the time where they were like, we need to really lock down on what criminal, criminal pathology is and, and, and really create a real system. Bill Harrison was the first person who went through the new system. Yeah. When they overhauled the whole thing, got Charles Smith out of there. He was now a part of the, he was the Guinea pig basically, mm -hmm. which isn't exactly a good thing because now you have a whole bunch of rookie people who are being trained and all this kind of stuff and don't know the job and they have to deal with this case. Yeah. So you want you, so they had no experience, even though they had changed it to what you're supposed to do correctly. They had no experience in doing it correctly. So, but now Bill, that's how all of that stuff I read factors into Bill. So Bill Harrison's body was discovered locked in a darkened bathroom, like I said. Um, and the autopsy was conducted by what's called a community-based pathologist with no specialty certifications in advanced postmortems. And even though Bill had a fractured sternum and bruises on his head and his face and his neck, the pathologist nonetheless decided that he died of a cardiac arrhythmia. That the heart of a sick, uh, the heart of a healthy, athletic, sixty-four-year-old man had just suddenly stopped working for no reason. Yeah, he was cremated, so that's an issue. Uh, and Bridget entombed her beloved husband five days after he died mm -hmm. on April twenty-second. With his body no longer available as evidence, Bill Harrison remained unexhumed because they come back again. All this stuff I'll come back to, but just keep in mind, Bill Harrison was cremated five days after he he died. So there's no way to go back and like they said, he had bruises on his neck and his head and his face, you know, but there's no body anymore. Yeah. So you can't even go back and, and look that over again. The flowers didn't bloom anymore at the Harrison house after Bill, the family gardener, died. For Bridget, the promise of spring still seemed a long way off. In the back of her mind, she couldn't put to rest the sense that the police or the coroner were wrong about Bill's death and that Melissa's disappearance the same day Bill died was more than just a coincidence. Caleb was still serving out his sentence, but Bridget's grandchildren were missing. The day after her husband's funeral, she went to court, and a judge granted her temporary sole custody of them because Melissa had fled with the kids. Yeah. So she broke the rule. Now, they're gone, but whenever they find them, she has sole custody. A month went by, and the police still had no trace of them. Another month came and went, and on June 15th, 
only three months into his 18 month sentence, Caleb was paroled and returned home. So he only served three months of the 18 months. Wow. He killed a dude in the car. Yeah. That's insane. He had really good lawyers, I guess. Meanwhile, Melissa and Chris had made a life for themselves and their three kids in the tiny village of Londonderry, Nova Scotia, a once bustling steel town whose population crashed to little over 200 after the mills closed 100 years ago. So they just like dyed their hair, moved to the smallest town in Canada, yeah. and were laying low. Uh, there, Melissa gave birth to her fourth child, mm. her second with Chris. He'd assumed a new identity and it was only when he accidentally delivered a rent check in his own name wow. that the police found them. I guess he forgot who he was like, oh, shit, I'm Mark. <laughs> he wrote Chris on the check. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Melissa was arrested on November 27, 2009, and charged with parental abduction. As a condition of her bail, she was barred from having any contact with Caleb or their two children. Not only did she lose the children she had fought so hard to keep, but she had also had... She also would have to stand trial on the couple's computer. Someone had been doing some alarming Googling. They Googled. What if a grandparent has legal custody and they die legal custody and they die. They just, they Google that as well. Like just not just grandparents, like legal custody and they die. Yeah. If a grandparent has custody of children and they die, which of the parents gets the kids, which is a very, <laughs> that's a very specific. condemning on, Google yeah. search. Uh, they also Googled Bridget Harrison and Bridget Harrison, Mississauga. Wow. So they, so like they got too many results for Bridget Harrison. They're like, okay, Bridget Harrison, Mississauga. Yeah. Like specific. So they were keeping tabs on her. They want doing research. What if a grandparent, all this shit is crazy, man. This is their Google search. They had even Googled how long it took someone to die from being choked mm. on April 10th, 2010, Caleb and Bridget, spotted Melissa and Chris outside their house, a violation of her bail conditions. Again, she was arrested and again, she was released on bail. A few days later on the anniversary of Bill's death, friends and family gathered in the house on pitch pine Crescent to grieve and celebrate his life. Bridget was set to testify at Melissa Merritt's parental abduction trial on April 22nd. She had written a victim impact statement on the hellish year that had started with a hellish day, the day her husband and the the day of her husband dying and the abduction of her grandchildren at virtually the same moment. Mm -hmm. Some people, she's in her in her letter she read in the court. She said some people believe in coincidences, some do not. Yeah. So she was basically saying they had something to do with my husband dying. I believe that mm -hmm. it's just not it. It's too much of a coincidence that they fled town the day my husband was found. I found my husband dead. But she just she said that in so few words. The day before the trial date, Bridget dropped off her grandchildren at school and Caleb at work. So she was she was dropping this dude off. She drove this dude around. Yeah. He's a 30 year old man. Well, you can't drive anyway. So touche. Yeah. Touche. I'll take that back. <laughs> He's legally not allowed to drop. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> when her grandson returned home later that afternoon, he found her lifeless body at the bottom of the stairs. Her skin waxy and discolored feet from where she had found her husband just a year before mm. her grandson raced across the street to a neighbor's house and called 911. A paramedic named Patrick Moran responded and found Bridget's body at the foot of the stairs with her head resting at the bottom step. Abrasions visible on her chin and ear. She was fully dressed wearing a pair of Crocs with her glasses and purse scattered before her. 
It looked like she had been heading out the door and tripped down the steps. Bridget had a broken neck, several broken ribs, and evidence of neck compression, which suggested she was asphyxiated. I hate that word. Suggested that she was asphyxiated. Mm -hmm. Police interviewed Caleb, and he was... He asked them to look closely at Melissa and Chris, but the forensic pathologist who performed her autopsy was still completing the training that the gouge inquiry had uh, recently recommended. Bridget Harrison's death was ruled suspicious as opposed to natural, but not a homicide. Mm. Caleb was nearly broken by his mother's death and he slipped into a depression. He separated from Corinda and started to drink again, but his love for his children buoyed him. Five days after his mother was found at the bottom of the stairs, he was awarded temporary sole custody. Melissa would be allowed to see them only during supervised visits. Melissa and Chris had their own growing family and left Mississauga for Perth County near London, Ontario, where they rented a farm. And Chris got a job as a, at a poultry plant, and he was going by Chris. He, wasn't, mm. he could just be himself. They lived in a little brick house with a wooden screen door painted blue, they had two dogs, a guinea pig, a rabbit, and they raised goats and pigs, which delighted Melissa. And from the milk they made, from the milk that they got from the goats, they made cheese and lotions. They had their nice little farm life or whatever. They were obsessed with the idea of being self-sufficient, of producing everything that they needed themselves. Melissa had a knack for crafts. She made, a ta she made taffy and candles at home and crocheted bookmarks, bow ties, and what she called apple cozies. Which would, which would protect apples from getting bruised. And she sold all of these things on an Etsy store called The Good Old Days. Now, I think an apple cozy might be the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I don't, you know, I'm just off the top of my dome. I don't know why you would put an apple in a little sweater and, you know, to protect it from what. But yeah. anyway, whatever. People buy stupid things all the time. She started a blog, writing one day about a cold that swept through the house. She wrote, two adults and five kids all laying around the house suffering from cold symptoms. We did nothing but whine and complain to each other, comparing who felt worse. I still say it was me because sick or not, mommy still needs to take care of everyone. Their days weren't entirely carefree. Every so often, they would search for news online about Bill and Bridget Harrison. And one of them used the computer to Google how to tell if your phone is tapped. Mm. So... I mean, it's clear what's going on, yeah. but, you know, it, it, it doesn't end there. Despite whatever sus suspicions Caleb may have had, he volunteered to give Melissa unsupervised access to their children. The kids would stay with Chris and Melissa and their half-siblings in Perth for a week, then come back to the house in Mississauga for a week. The couple were doting and playful parents, taking the kids to water parks, Niagara Falls, and restaurants. Melissa would do crafts with them all, and Chris even put together a Harlem Shake video uh, of the Blended Clan. You remember those? Was like, yeah. And do the Harlem Shake. Yeah. <laughs> so that was in at the time, and they were very much had a social media presence, and so they got involved in that trend. I've never made a Harlem Shake video. Uh, early in the morning of March 1st, 2012, when Melissa was five months pregnant with her sixth child, she and Chris awoke to, to rattling and their bedroom door and smoke pouring in and smoke pouring in underneath it. They grabbed the children from their beds and escaped out of the bedroom window. The fire had started in the living room and consumed their beloved little uh, bungalow and all its contents, killing their dogs, the guinea mm. pig, and the rabbit. Dang. They moved into a hotel, started a GoFundMe page, 
which raised only about 10% of its $50,000 goal that they had hoped to recover. So that, that stings when people don't care. Yeah. You know, your GoFundMe, your GoFundMe doesn't get anywhere near the thing. But, you know, it is what it is. Making matters worse, the slight peace between Melissa and Caleb began to collapse. She and Chris had found a new place to live back in Mississauga, but Caleb had decided that he no longer wanted Melissa to have unsupervised access to their children. And I would bet they had some, I bet they had an argument or something when she moved back into town. Yeah. But there was some kind of argument and he was like, oh, I'm going to be petty then. Yeah. And you're back on supervised business. On August 22nd, 2013, uh, this was to be the last, uh, the family's last night alone together before they were back on supervised visits. Video footage from the from that day shows Melissa and Chris going to Walmart to buy a pair of men's sneakers. Caleb, meanwhile, was trying to be a good father. He was back with Corinda, and he had a steady job at CMC Electronics. He still couldn't drive, but he had arranged for a neighbor to take the kids, now ten and twelve, to and from school. He brought them to he brought them to the park most days, and even volunteered as their baseball coach, just as his dad had done for him. He was doing the best he could, confiding to a friend that he was depressed but not suicidal. On August 22nd, Caleb took his kids to their baseball game and then dropped them off with Melissa. Corinda was supposed to go to the game that night and then stay over, but she was behind on an online course she was taking and didn't trust the spotty internet at Caleb's house. He called her that night around 11 p.m. He sounded drunk and said he was going to put a movie on. They fought over the phone about money and the house. When they hung up, Caleb turned his phone off, as he did every night because he's a light sleeper. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, Christopher Fator, wearing latex gloves that and shoes that he had bought from the Walmart the day before, arrived at Caleb's house. He got inside using a key he had stolen from Melissa's eldest son. Mm. He crept past the bathroom where Bill Harrison had been found dead and up the stairs where Bridget had lain and arrived at Caleb's bedroom. It was filthy. Caleb didn't want his cleaning lady to tidy up his bedroom. And a layer of dust and dog hair carpeted the floor. Mm. Standing over Caleb as he slept, the co- keep in mind, this dude's massive. He look, looks like a football player. Mm. The colossal man... Yeah, the colossal man delivered a thunderous punch to his victim's chest. Caleb shot up and the two started struggling. So that was personal because he could have just went right in for the strangle and killed him. You know, he had full advantage. He punched him so he could wake up and then fought him. So he was a light sleeper. He didn't hear his big ass creeping around the house? I guess not. Not light enough, I guess. Yeah. Or maybe he was real sneak. The shoes, the Walmart shoes. Hey, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Creep, creep very well. Uh, so they began, they began to struggle. Caleb was still drunk and tiny compared to Chris, so he stood no chance. Chris threw him like a rag doll into the shelves beside his bed, and in his final moments, Caleb begged for his life, offering his attacker money, but Chris didn't say a word. Caleb clawed at him to no effect. Chris clamped his hands around Caleb's neck, Mm. just above where he tattooed his children's names and squeezed. The next day, the housekeeper had been cleaning for almost two hours without knowing that there was a crime scene upstairs. Her work was interrupted by a man at the door looking for Caleb who had not shown up to work that day. That morning, I mean. The housekeeper said she hadn't seen Caleb, but his bedroom door was closed. 
They went upstairs together and found him lying in bed with a blanket pulled over his self up to his chin, tucked in as though he was asleep. Mm -hmm. Sirens blared as the amb as ambulances arrived a few minutes past noon on August 23rd, 2013, pulling up to the beautiful home that had seen so much death on uh, the three-line street in suburban Mississauga. The paramedics rushed to the second floor master bedroom, but there was nothing to be done. Caleb Harrison was dead. Paramedic Patrick Marin looked at the house with his with its sloped roof and cathedral windows and was struck by a powerful memory. He turned to his partner and said, I've been here before. Now in the same now in the home, paramedics stood over the body of Caleb and noted troubling injuries, bruising and abrasions around his neck, swollen knuckles and deep scratches on his chest. Sonia Mackin, a forensic identification services officer, called in to take photographs, entered through the front door, and seeing the carpeted staircase leading up to the second floor had the same flash of memory as the paramedic. Years earlier, Mackin had photographed another body right here at the bottom of the stairs. She had been there before too. Mm. So she was there when Bridget died, and the paramedic was there when Bill died. Mm -hmm. uh, unlike Bill and Bridget's deaths, Caleb was Vic was quickly determined to be a homicide by asphyxiation. And that was that and that was no small part because finally a fully trained certified forensic pathologist had performed the postmortem on a member of the Harrison family. Because before finally. it was yeah, yeah, they had to deal with that dude Charles Smith and then the rookies and the turnover, and now they finally got it figured out. They have experience and they can deal with Caleb. Yeah. Uh suddenly the three deaths of an entire nuclear family required a wholesale reevaluation. This was no longer an investigation of a single homicide, but two and then three. Keep in mind, though, Bill was cremated. So they never can fully find out what happened to Bill. Yeah. Uh, the police began surveilling Melissa and Chris almost, almost immediately. The DNA found under Kayla's fingernails matched Christopher Fator. An undercover officers tailed him as he ran errands, drinking from a cup of Tim Horton's coffee. When he discarded it, an officer surreptitiously retrieved it. Another cop posing as a waste collector rode the back of a garbage truck as it ran its route past the Fator home in Mississauga. One of the trash bags contained the shoes at, that Chris had worn that, that he bought from Walmart, uh, whose soles were covered in dog hair mm. because... Caleb never cleaned his room mm, right. and he had dog hair on his floor. So they were able to find traces of dog hair on the bottom of those shoes. They also found latex gloves and the latex gloves had Caleb's DNA on the outside and Chris's DNA on the inside. Uh, at the house on pitch pine Crescent investigators found the temptuous correspondence between Melissa and the Harrisons. Melissa tried to go to Caleb's wake. So she was trying to play the part like, Oh, yeah. it's, I don't know. It's sad. She tried to go to Melissa. She tried to go to Caleb's wake, but was turned away by the family and friends. As the authorities built up their case, she and her family planned to start over one last time. So I'm, I guarantee it was like after once they went let her into the wake, she was like, "Oh shit, they're on." Yeah. yeah. So now that Caleb was dead, the Harrison line of custody extinguished. Melissa had their children exclusively, and her family was complete. They moved back to Nova Scotia near the sea. A few months later, in January 2014, Detective Phil King from the Peel region flew to Nova Scotia and with officers from the local dispatch, drove to the Fator house 
on Eisner, uh, Eisner Diversion Road, and he had warrants for the arrest of both Melissa and Chris mm. for Bridget and Caleb's murder. Yeah. While the police continued to investigate Bill's death, Chris walked out onto the porch as they arrived. He was arrested without a struggle, but he was so huge that they had to handcuff him using leg irons. Mm. Melissa was also arrested, and they were brought to the local station and put into separate interrogation rooms. In her cell, in, in, in her interrogation room, Melissa doubled over and wept. Chris's interrogation room was no bigger than a bathroom, eight feet by six feet, windowless, lit fluorescently from above with concrete walls and a green floor, just big enough to fit him and his interrogators. Mm -hmm. Phil King, sitting knee to knee after 13 full hours of interrogation with a catch in his, vi in, with a catch in his voice, Chris finally told the detectives, I didn't like Caleb Harrison. Trying one last time to save his wife, he said, I'm what I'm telling you right now is that Melissa Merritt did not know anything until after it was done. And I actually have his confession, so I'm going to play that right now. Um, here we go. It was an awful family. The, the children were and I and Melissa had to live with it every day, and I couldn't watch Melissa's attitude and how sorry she was for everything that was going on. And I'm telling you right now that Melissa Merritt did not know anything until after it was done. What did you do? I killed Bridget Harrison and killed Harrison. How did you kill Bridget? I knocked on her door. She opened the door. I pretended to have a letter to give to the children. She refused the letter. So I then forced my way into the house and I attacked her. What did you do? I hit her a couple times. I then proceeded to squeeze her neck. Until she stopped breathing and laid on the floor. So what he said right there was he never meant they blanked out the name, but the, the grandson found her laying on the floor. Yeah. He's saying, I never meant for him, for him to find her. Oh, okay. That's not the plan. That's not what I wanted. I figured that she would, someone would come home or Caleb would come home and find her. I didn't expect for him to come to the house. I didn't think that was going to happen. I know that. As for Caleb, I snuck out in the middle of the night. Also had no idea. I left, I went there. I got into his house. Proceeded to go up to the bedroom. I 
chest. And when he sprung up, we began to struggle. I threw him into the shelving unit beside his bed. He tried to bribe me with money. I didn't speak to him. I just knocked him to the ground and I proceeded to choke him. Yeah, so that was Chris's confession to the murder of both Caleb and his mother, Bridget. In January 2018, a jury foreman stood in a Brampton courtroom and read the verdict in the Harrison murders. Christopher Fator and Melissa Merritt were found guilty of the murder of Caleb Harrison. Chris was also found guilty of murdering Bridget Harrison. The jury could not come to a verdict on the first-degree murder charges Melissa faced in the death of Bridget Harrison, and so the court declared a mistrial. And in the death of Bill Harrison, Chris, who alone faced the second-degree murder charge, was found not guilty due to insufficient evidence. The children were sent to live with the Merritt family, and both Melissa and Chris received life sentences with no chance of parole for 25 years. Good. They say they're planning to appeal, um, which I have no update on. Um, the appeal police conducted an internal review of the case to determine whether or not mistakes were made in the three investigations, which clearly there were. There were. I mean, it's very much possible that he killed Bill as well, but we'll never know because the body was cremated. Uh, did he say he did it? Huh? He didn't say he did it. No, he didn't. He, oh, didn't, he, he didn't confess to Bill. He confessed. Oh. He confessed to killing Bridget and killing Caleb. Okay. Yeah. Um. So they said they would. Um. They they're looking into it, but that hasn't satisfied the surviving members of the Harrison family who are calling for a public inquiry. In court, Chris and Melissa would stare at each other and uh, give tender, even ironic smiles in each other's directions. They were clearly still very much in love. One day, the jury heard a recording taken just after their arrest when they were being flown back to Ontario. Police put them into a room together that, unbeknownst to them, was bugged. You know they did that on purpose because yeah. you know they know they're going to talk. And uh, this, the conversation went like this. What did you tell them? Melissa asked. I'm taking the rap for I'm taking the rap for it to get you a lesser sentence to give you accessory after the fact. Chris said, I told them I told you after. Why did you do that? Because I want you to get out and get our children was his response. Mm. And um, so that was the story of the Harrison family murders. Chris and um, Melissa were very vindictive and petty in a lot of situations. And Caleb was spoiled and, um, terrible in a lot of situations as well and as somebody who has no kids i don't know what it's like if one of the persons that you're co-parenting with like murders a person or kills somebody by accident in a drunk driving accident i don't know what that does to your confidence in their parenting and how that mm -hmm. how that whole thing goes but either way a lot of petty shit was going on and it led to three people dying now i can't the bill is allegedly bill harrison is allegedly but caleb harrison it looks that way. It just is odd that this healthy dude just had a heart attack and he, you know, and there was no real uh, body of um, investigation there to properly do an autopsy and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, but rest in peace to everybody involved in that and prayers to those kids. Cause that, that's a lot to experience like boom, 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 like every year and every couple of years, your grand, your grandfather dies, your grandmother dies, your father dies. And then you find out that your parents killed them. Yeah. It's just a big mind fuck, man. Yeah. But I thought that story was insane. Yeah, it was wild. And um, and I um, 
Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's Fran's turn to tell you some fucked up shit. So stick around. Welcome back. Uh, it's my turn to go this week. My affirmative murder is um, about Ronald Gray. Ronald Gray. Yes, Ronald Gray. So Gray was born in Cochran, Georgia, but grew in the Liberty City. Grew up in a in Liberty City, a public a public housing project in Miami. He enlisted at the age eighteen in nineteen eighty four and was assigned to the Target Acquisition Battery, um, the one thirty nine Field Artillery um, Battalion. At the time of his arrest, he was stationed at Fort Bragg, Fort Bragg, which is in um, North Carolina, um, near. Near uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Okay. Holding the rank of Specialist 4, which is E4, and serving as a cook assigned to the 3rd Battalion, 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment, and 82nd Airborne. Mm. A lot of things. All that military shit is like... <laughs> I feel like when somebody else that's in that will hear like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I, I know exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You what, just, you know, just perfectly describe. I, I know what bunk he's at. Yeah. <laughs> um, so during his um, court-martial... His mother, Lizzie Hurd, and sister testified that he had been abused by his stepfather as a child. Colonel David um, Armitage, a military forensic psychiatrist, also testified that Gray's early life had um, Gray's early life he had experienced fairly sub- substantial socioeconomic uh, deprivation, multiple male figures in the home, multiple physical physical moves, living in a substandard poverty condition. Conditions and circumstances where the electric lights were turned out by the electric company because bills were not paid. Mm. He had step parent, a step parent, which was his stepfather. Mm. And at one time he was extremely abusive to his mother and abusive to him mm. using belts um, on him um, to the point that inflicting injury um, and drawing blood. So he was beaten by his step um, stepdad uh, when he was a kid. So on April 27, 1986, Gray murdered civilian Linda Jean Coates, age 23, a student in nearby um, Campbell University. On December 11, 1986, Gray abducted, raped, and murdered a second civilian, Tammy Kofa Williams, age 18. On December 15, 1986, Gary abducted, raped, sodomized, and murdered Private Lori Lee Vicky Clay, age 18, she disappeared from Fort Bragg. And just that, what does that remind you of? The Vanessa Gein case, yeah. for sure. I mean, that that stuff happens at, at, at bases all around the country and yeah. in other countries, military. I mean, like, the, the integration of women and men in the military has had a lot of um, dark things behind yeah. it. I mean, and men, men get a, a sexually assaulted in these in these uh, um, bases, yeah. too, and killed. And these things these things happen, man. That they found another body at the same base that Vanessa Guillen was killed at, you know, just like this month or something like that. This, yeah. this shit happens, man. But from I, but before the Vanessa Guillen case, I didn't know like this stuff was. I think like, that put it on the that was the tipping point. Yeah, yeah. Where people really said like, what what happened? This is going like wait like this is the United States military. Yeah. And then, and this, and like then it's this like, oh, yeah, on. no, this happens. This this isn't an anomaly. Yeah. Like, Vanessa Guillen was the national story. It got big, and then. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is like the eighth time this has happened in the past ten years, and you're like, what? Yeah. So like other military people, but you wouldn't expect killing. it going. Yeah, I'm saying, but you wouldn't expect that to be happening 
on a military base. No. When you were there to serve and protect the country. Absolutely. It's yes. insane. It's yeah. absolutely insane. So two witnesses saw her at a local Kmart with a man later identified as Gray. Vickery Clay's car found the next morning um, a block from her home appeared to have been driven through the woods and the driver's seat was set back further than necessary for um, Vickery Clay um, to drive. Mm -hmm. Three of Gray's fingerprints were found on the hood of the car. On January 17, 1987, a soldier discovered Vickery Clay's half-naked decomposed body in the woods in Fort Bragg. She had been raped, sodomized, and shot in the neck forehead, chest, and back of the head. Oh, Jesus. She had also suffered blunt force trauma to various parts of her body. The murder weapon was a twenty-two caliber pistol that Gray had stolen in November 1986, and that was found 60 feet from um, the victim's body. So he left the gun out there, too? Yeah. Yep. So on January 3rd, 1987, he raped and attempted to murder Private Mary Ann Lang Nemeth, age 20. Age 20 Gray entered her barracks room under the pretense of needing to use the bathroom wow once inside gray grabbed um mary ann held a knife to her throat and asked for her military field gear gary tied uh, mary ann's hands behind her behind her back removed removed her underclothing and raped her gary gary then stabbed her repeatedly in the neck mm. and on the side of her body and threatened to return and kill her if she screamed Mary Ann suffered a lacerated trachea, trachea, tr trachea, and collapsed lung. Mm. But, sur but she survived that. She survived that attack. That's incredible. When Gray's um, photograph appeared in the news following his arrest of another crime, Mary Ann identified him as her assailant. Also, I wonder why he didn't he didn't kill her. Yeah, I don't know. That's strange. It sounds like he intended to, based on what he did. But then for him to say, "I'll come back." Yeah, that's I, what I mean. I, I guess he yeah, yeah. thought she would survive. My question is, how does the base not go on lockdown? Because there's already he's killed privates. Yeah. Before he got to this, Amy. Mary. Mary. The, Mary the, Ann. The, the Mary last Ann. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah before yeah, he yeah. got to Mary Ann, he had killed other privates at the base. So it's like there wasn't high alert or like. Telling women, like, don't let men into your... You know, like, what is the procedure? You know, and I think that the Vanessa Guillen case is there's going to be procedure now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This stuff, sure. ha this stuff has been happening and it's been happening for years, but this this Vanessa Guillen case puts such a spotlight on this happening that now there's going to be, like, rules in place from yeah. this point on, I hope. Because what, what I hate is that now it has to take for people to die and turn up missing yeah. for for this to become now it's a process that we had to we got to step it up our security or whatever yeah it's like because aside from murder there are people being sexually assaulted in the military every day that happens all the time and they just have to suck it up not say anything because if they say something then they risk not pro progressing in the military mm -hmm. and people who committed these things it's such a blow to be a rape like you're out basically so the the blowback of that is they're like basically if i say something this person will retaliate because i'm gonna ruin their career yeah so i don't want that blowback so i'll just keep it to myself that happens yeah. every day male female it's it's crazy and sometimes it leads to murder yeah i just wonder why he didn't kill her i'm not gonna say take a light on her but why he didn't kill her um I don't know why he didn't go. She suffered these uh, lacerated 
um, trachea in the cleft. What's that in your throat, right? That's yeah, uh-huh. that's like how you speak, I think. Yeah, but I don't. It doesn't make sense to me because she could identify him. Yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't weird. know. And I guess got, they had got, some type of history. Not, I mean, I don't, not saying they was dating anything, but he right. got in there with just, oh, can I eat your bathroom? Right. They had some kind of report. Yeah, right, right. But he got caught on another. He had done something else. After this? Yeah. What do you mean before this? No, I'm saying Mary saw him on TV and identified him as the assailant who raped and stabbed her. Right? Is what you're saying? Yeah. She, yeah, didn't, yeah, yeah. she didn't get she him didn't put get, in jail. Yeah. He, yeah. He, she added on. Yep. So she yeah she so saw he left his, there and then did something else at another point. Yeah, she saw him on the news and I'm guessing he, I'm guessing might he have, left that. Or night. they probably traced him back to the other two before her. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe that's how he got. Um, he ended up on the news and she was like, "Hey, that's who attacked me." Yeah. Three days later, on January sixth, he raped and sodomized and robbed, raped, sodomized, robbed, and murdered a third civilian, Kimberly Ann Ruggles. Um, who was 23, on the evening of January 6th, a local cab driver was dispatched to pick up a passenger named Ron at Gray's address. In the early morning hours of January 7th, military police officers on routine patrol discovered Ruggles' empty cab parked at the edge of the, at the, edge of the woods. Her nude body was discovered a short distance away. She had been raped, sodomized, beaten, and stabbed several times. Seven times, I'm sorry. Um, Ruggles' mouth was gagged with a cloth mm. that matched a pair of black karate pants other police officers had found in Gray's possession er, um, an hours earlier. Gray's fingerprint, I mean, he didn't really care. He was just... Yeah. Well, I'm more blown away that he he does what he does to this private Mary, mm-hmm. and then th- he goes back to his apartment. Yeah. And then calls a cab three days later. I guess with the I don't know if he was intending to go somewhere or whatever, and maybe this, maybe Ruggles this Ruggles woman caught his fancy or something like that. Yeah. But I don't know how this woman survives, and he is just like, yeah, whatever. I don't know yeah. if she's dead or not. I'm yeah, gonna go yeah. and continue with my life, go back to my apartment. I'm not on the run. He didn't flee the state. He just continued to to go on, and I have to assume Mary was eventually gonna identify him anyway, but just needed some time to recover because yeah, she had yeah. been so so three days wasn't enough time for her to, you know, be cognizant and make a report as what I assume. But then he goes on and kills somebody else during this time. That's insane to me. He's on a, he's like on a rampage. But it wasn't like, he didn't say, I'm going to come back and kill you. If you tell, he just said, I'll come back. I'll, I'll return to kill if she screamed. So if she doesn't, if she, if you do what I want you to do, I'll just leave you alone. I think it's crazy that she was left alive and could identify him and all. It's just that's just insane. And then he went back to his light. Like he went back to his apartment, and yeah. three days later, he calls a cab and uses his regular name. Yeah. Do you think he meant to tag the cab driver, or was just like, yeah, I mean, it just kicked in and was just like, like, do I think he called the cab driver with the intention of like, I'm going to kill a cab yeah, driver? Yeah. I have to say no because anybody could have showed up. A, unless it was a guy. Male. That's what I'm saying. Like a dude could have showed up right. or anything, you know? So I'm, I'm assuming maybe he actually was going somewhere. And then he, this Ruggles, this young woman, what's her first name? Sorry. Uh, Kimberly Ann. Yeah. Kim. So Kimberly Ruggles shows up. He's, she's the cab driver and he's like, Oh, nice. A woman. Yeah. I'm going to kill her. It's, ha- it's what I assume. Cause anybody could have showed up as the cab driver. So I have to assume she caught his fancy and then something kicked in his murderous, you know, you know, spree mm. kicked in and he kills her 
But the fact that he even was catching a cab to go somewhere and, and somebody, he, he killed somebody or he almost killed somebody on a military base, a, a, a fellow military member, he had to know that that was lingering like, oh, she's definitely going to. But he did, though. He killed one of them. He killed a private. He killed a private, but, but Mary's survived. Yeah. So I have to think in the back of his mind, he's like, she survived. Like, that's going to come back on me at some point. Yeah. Or maybe he just was that confident he that tried, she wouldn't he, say anything because I said I'll come back. Yeah, but he killed one and then attack another private on his base. Yeah. That's pretty that's pretty bold to do something like that. The whole thing is bold. Yeah, yeah. Uh so Yeah, so the police officers on routine um patrol discovered Ruggles empty car empty cab parked at the edge of the woods. Her new body was discovered a short distance away. She had been raped, sodomized, beaten, and stabbed seven times. Mm. Um, Ruggles' mouth was gagged with a cloth belt that matched a pair of black karate pants. Um, all the f- other police officers had found on Gray's possession in early hours. And hours earlier, mm. Gray's fingerprints was on the interior door handle of Ruggles' taxi, and Ruggles' fingerprints was found on money in Gray's possession. Gray's footprints were also found at the, at the crime scene. Um, in November 1987, Gary pleaded guilty in Cumberland County Superior Court to 22 felonies, two counts of second-degree murder from Colton Wilson, right. two counts of first-degree mur- burglary, five counts of first-degree rape, five counts of first-degree sexual offense, um, one count of attempted first-degree rape, three counts of second-degree kidnapping, two counts of robbery with a dangerous weapon, and one count each one count each of assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill and inflicting serious injury. Mm. He was sentenced to eight life sentences, um, including three um, to be served concurrently. So Gray was also tried by a military court. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like, like, I guess I think we talked about this before. Like you have to go through that process of you being charged with all this stuff. It's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's like, it's like I'm going to prison no matter yeah, what. Yeah, Unless the military like, was like, well, we're going to take y'all back and shoot you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, I don't know what they can do to him. It's like, you also, when you're done your fourth life sentence, you have to come to our jail yeah. and do a life. It's like, he'll, he'll be dead, man. Yeah. He'll, he'll be dead. <laughs> now come back. He ain't going to make past the first one. Yeah. Man. But you got to bring him to justice. I, I understand yeah. that part. Like, yeah. get it on record, solve the case, give justice to the people involved in the military and all that. I get all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Gary was also tried by the military court. The general court martial lasted from December 18, 1987 to April 1988 and was composed of commissioned and enlisted soldiers at Fort Bragg. Gary was convicted of 14 charges, including premeditated murder of Ruggles and Vicky Clay, Vickery Clay, and attempted pre- premeditated murder of Lang Nemeth, um, three rapes, two robberies, and two counts of forcible sodomy. On April 12, 1988, he was unanimously sentenced to death. He was additionally sentenced to dishonorable discharge, um, total forf- forfeiture of all pay and allowances, mm. and reduction in rank to private E1. I mean, who cares? Yeah. Uh, on July 29, 1988, the commanding general of the 82nd Airborne Division approved the sentence, and Gary was 22 at the time of his sentence. 22. Jesus. 22. So he was doing all this at, like, 1920. Yes, um... But the military sentenced him to death, so that is a difference. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you yeah, know, it's not yeah. like they also right. sentenced him to life sentences. Like that, their punishment was more extreme than the court system. Yep. Um. So, 
Gray remains on death row um, at the United States Disciplinary Barracks at Fort uh, Leavenworth, Kansas. As a member of the United States Air Forces, Gary Gray cannot be executed until the president approves the death sentence. Um, we're just like, oh, this is some crazy shit. Yeah, is that is that always the the process? Or I don't know. I don't really I've know much heard. about. I, like I have, haven't done a lot of research on stories where a military person snapped and killed a bunch of people, and the president has to approve their killing them or something. I I don't know. Maybe because it's a military connection. Maybe that's the. Kind I mean, that's that is why. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. why. But um, I don't know. I don't know like the precedent. I don't know how how often this happens. Yeah. So on July twenty eighth, two thousand eight, your favorite president George W. Bush. Um, was a favorite president, right? Who me? Yeah. yeah. George W. Bush approved. Uh, I like his look. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like his policies, but I like his look. Yeah. He's very adorable. He looks like a little rabbit. <laughs> approved uh, Gray's execution, making Gray the first service member sentenced to death since 1961. Mm. One month later, Army Secretary Pete J- Pete Jaron um, set the execution date as December 10th, 2008, and ordered that Gray be put to death by lethal injection at the Federal Correctional Complex in Terrehue. Terrehue, Indiana? I don't know anything about Indiana. Me either. Don't want to either. <laughs> the military released the news of Gray's execution date on November 20th, 2008. Army personnel will be responsible for conducting the execution based on an agreement with the Federal Bureau of, of Prisons. So immediately following Gray's court-martial, the records of the trial were, for, were forwarded to Defense Appellate Division and received by them on August 8th, 1988. Council filed initial pleadings with the Court of Military Review on September 15, 1989. On February 13, 1990, the court ordered a sanity board, which on June 1990 found that Gray was responsible at the time of the offense and that he was competent to understand the trial and the present appellate proceedings. Mm-hmm. If they tried. Yeah. Um, you <laughs> on, gotta try. Yeah. On July 20, 1990, the Government Appellate Division answered Gray's assignment of errors. So from uh, 1990 all the way until 2008. 18 years. Well, I need to look at to when he was arrested. So, okay, 2008 is when they approved the execution. Right. And he did these crimes in. 80s, right? The 80s. I'm just trying to figure out the the timelines between um that and so for from 1990 all the way until 2008, it was all appeals. This dude was yeah, he was pushing filing for motion of the court, uh, military review requesting the court to order the government to provide fifteen thousand for an expert psychiatrist, a death penalty qualified attorney, and an investigator. Um, in 91. The court military review denied on the August 23rd, 1991 and September 12, 1991, Gray filed for a right appeal petition requesting that his court order the government to provide 10,000 an emergency stay of the proceedings before the court military review, um, which they denied that in yeah. 1991. Um, in December 16, 1991, Gray filed for motion with the court military review requesting the court to order additional medical um, psychological psychological Psychological, sorry, psychological tests to be performed by military authorities. 
Uh, that was in December. And this, December 31st, 1991, the court granted Grady's request and ordered a, a magnetic magnet, magnetic renounce imaging scan for the brain. There's nothing wrong with this man. He's pulling out all it's, the stops. Yeah, man. Everything. Yeah. So it was it was filing for all these appeals, getting these people in here. Um, but no, I'm cr- I'm crazy. Yeah. So you got to really make sure. I need to, you know, I need them to do a lobotomy, bring yeah. in magnet machine, all this type, you know, thing. everything, everything. Um. So. Yeah, so September 29, 2015, a judge ruled against Gray's arguments of his appeal that thus ending the long-running appeal set into motion by Bush's approval of Gray's sentencing sentence in 2008. Uh, so on June 28, 2018, the United States Supreme Court declined to hear Gray's case without giving a reason. 2018? Yeah. So he got a... George Bush signed off, and then he still was around for another 10 years? Yeah, there, there is no... There is no death. You know, when you look people's name up, they go. If, yeah, like, oh, he's not. There dead. is no dead date yet. So I don't know. I looked them up. Tried to. I tried to go on Reddit. Yeah. See if I can find. It, see if I won't call them people's crazy, but those people are crazy. Yeah, they did go deep. They dive deep. Yeah, but it's nothing popping up on Reddit. So I'm guessing he's not dead yet. But I mean, he's 54 years old now. Oh, he'll, he'll be. So I mean, he was in to, young. Yeah, so if it's up to to life killing him, he's gonna be around for a while. Yeah. Twenty man. Yeah, so That's um, a lot of shit to be doing at twenty. Yeah, so that was Ronald Grave. You, I'm you open a picture of that. The dude looks, looks crazy nice. in this picture. That super nice. We've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know what. I wish I, I sometimes I wish I could ask people questions, but then I don't. But I want to know what was his intentions of getting into the military to begin with. Before he just like snapped. Well, clearly he had a shitty him. he had a shitty life. I yeah, mean, for sure. you know, that's a that's a, that's how they get a lot of these young kids to join the military. It's like. You have no other options. You live in a dead end town. You can either go work at a factory that turns uh, pig knees into dog pig food, yeah. or you can go join the military and see the world. And that whole and that whole pitch sounds great when you fucking get beat by your dad every day and you're failing out of high school and all this. Kind of, you know, the military sounds great. Yeah. So. I'm sure it was that kind of story based on you telling me about his stepdad beating him and all that kind of stuff, you know. So I need to get out of here. No excuse. Um, no, no excuse for it. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. just talking about how he got into yeah, the military. Yeah. No, I'm just talking about how he got into the military, man. I, no no excuses for any of the shit that he did when he got there. <laughs> yeah. No. But that was, is my thinking of how he got into the military. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, fuck that dude. That, those but all, all again, ter- this, is, this is um, this story goes with the Vanessa Gee in case recipes to her yes, again. Absolutely. And that stuff um, happens every about day. This shit that's happening. Ton of Vanessa Gee's out there. On the in the United States military. Yes. Fort Bragg, Fort Hood. Which is Again, I didn't know stuff like this was going on. I guess I should have, but I, I was just, aware of the sexual assault. I wasn't aware yeah. that people were straight up just like dying sometimes. Like getting dying or, Yeah, it's like yeah, that's, that's being buried like, oh you we don't want you guys talking. It's like that is that's some. That, it kind of remind me of um, what's that guy's name? Uh, the one that recently passed. What's his name? The kind of trafficking uh, kids and stuff. Oh, Jeffrey Epstein. That. Yeah, there's some cover up level to these yeah. things, I'm sure, because there, there's been other stories. Even this story, not having a ton of um spotlight on it. Even 
in a time like now because that dude is basically the dude who killed Vanessa Guillen. Yeah. You know, like that dude, yeah. that dude killed exactly, himself. Yeah. But I mean, this, this type of person is who killed Vanessa Guillen. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, but this dude wasn't even like, he only was in it. He only did four years of service. It's not like yeah, he, oh, was, he came he into wasn't the even high rank. He, he was yeah. just like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just here. Yeah, I'm here. And he, he came in with his yeah. issues already, already riled up. I wouldn't be surprised if he had raped women or something before he even before got into the military. Yeah. I mean, you don't, I, I don't see four years doing that to you, turning you That's into what I mean. a, a rapist or something. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm sure he has a history of doing things like that. And then it escalated when he got into the military. Maybe he felt more like he had more authority, more power. I don't know. The training. Yeah, man. I just, that's what I'm saying. I want to know. He was 18 years old. He had to be doing this before he got in the military. But I'm like, what was his, why did he want to go? I, I understand the reasons why people go into the military. I get that. Yeah. But he wasn't even, four years, he was just like, hey, man, I'm just, you as soon as you get in, like you, some people I feel like well, you're making you making money, you get you get physical training. But I feel like I feel like there should be some type of like you wait like five years or something. You you know what I mean? Like people would take time to that's get acclimated. You, that's and, you thinking with, <laughs> get a, acclimated. with a logical brain. <laughs> get acclimated this, with this, yeah. But you go in ready, just no. This, this you're thinking with your brain. This person's yeah. brain is different. You you can't never understand what the what the breaking point for him to where he decided like oh I'm gonna rape. A, co- a co-worker of mine yeah. or I'm going to go off base and rape a civilian, murder civilians, all these kind of things. You, you can't ever get into that headspace. You know, it, it's just not something that can be done. It's crazy. Yeah, man. So that was Ronald, Ronald Gray. Um, again, this is shedding a light on what's going on under military, on these military bases yeah. that's being pushed to the side, swept under the rug. Um, again, rest in peace, Vanessa Gillian. And rest in peace, I want to say these victims' names again. Um, Linda Jean Colts. I mean, she was in the military, but rest in peace to her. Rest in peace to Vickery. Sorry. Private Laura Lee Vickery Clay. Um, Private Marianne Lang Nemeth. Well, she survived, right? Right, yeah. Um, but what happened to her was still tragic. Yeah, and... Rest in peace, Kimberly Ann Ruggles, who was the taxi driver. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace to all of them, man. And prayers. And not even rest in peace, but I'm, uh, if, even if he had other victims. Yes. Um, Prayers, condolences. Yeah. I hope you found yeah. your peace. I hope you found your joy again. Um, That was a beautiful thing. There's this documentary on uh, the East Area Rapist, Golden State Killer, um, on HBO. In the last episode, you see all the victims come together. They have like a like a like a, a backyard wine party, mm-hmm. and just you hear these women who went through these horrific events because he would come in, rape them with their husband there, tie them both up, all these terrible things, and to hear them, you know, after he's been caught, D'Angelo's been caught, he's in custody, he's going through whatever, and they are saying like, I, I'm able to breathe again, yeah. you know, and and we have this bond, all these women who've been through this shared experience, I. Am able. I'm starting to be able to find myself again. Yeah, and that's what you hope for any woman, woman or per, man, person in general who goes through these traumatic experiences. You just hope they get back to being themselves eventually. That's the best thing you can hope for. You know. So I hope that any woman who's been through anything like that, outside of the Ronald Gray case or anything, I hope that you find your light again. I hope you find your passions again, your joys again, and just 
are able to move on with your life. Um, but with that being said, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and, and jump into these good vibes and uh, lift the spirits a bit. Uh, all right, it's time to bring it home, guys, with my favorite favorite my favorite segment of the show. Um our good vibes. So my good vibe this week is Philadelphia wants to in wants to ensure that all its K twelve students have internet access. So they so they have what they need to learn remotely during the pandemic, especially as the city schools will remain closed to in person classes this fall. I thought schools were gonna open. Um, well, they are opening in some places. They are? Some girl got in trouble. She took a picture. She was in, like, Indiana or something. She took a picture of her hallway. It was packed. Like, all the kids were walking around the high school shoulder to shoulder. And none of no them, nobody had masks on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some Jeez. schools are opening. Wow. But um, they are doing a lot of, like, there are a lot of um, districts that are giving out tablets and stuff, and they are doing virtual learning. But some schools are opening. Well, it depends on the cases in that state. Or I'm hoping that there's some kind of logic to it, yeah, or, yeah. you know. So since it, depend, the, it also depends on who your representative is and if they're, you know, and it, or, not or an a Republican idiot. or, you know, oh, okay. if they if they agree with what Donald Trump is putting out there. But also in New York, Anthony Cuomo or yeah, Anthony Cuomo, who everybody loved a couple months ago because they thought he was doing such a good job. He came out and was like, listen, man, the school closings will really hurt the economy. So we think New York's in a good place. We're opening up all the schools. So New yeah. York is opening up all the schools, apparently. But I hear that their cases are really down. So because they, they was they were super they was, high. They were at one point. Yeah, it was yeah. terrible. I, so maybe th they curved it and they feel confident in opening. And maybe that's the basis of it. Maybe it depends on the state. Yeah. Because I read a study that said like five states are responsible for forty percent of the cases. Dang. There's like five states that are responsible for forty percent of the five million cases in the United States. So I maybe those that. states shouldn't open up the schools right now. Yeah. You know. Did they say which one it was? I didn't. I didn't oh, okay. read that deep right. into it. Uh, since the coronavirus forced the schools closures this spring, the city has been working with foundations and partners to mobilize funding um, that will provide broadband and internet access for thirty-five thousand kids. And this week, they unveiled a program that will make it happen. The Phil, I'm guessing this is it stands for Philly Connect. The Philly Connect Ed will connect eligible student households with two years of high-speed internet without any out-of-pocket expenses or installation fees. Using Comcast Internet Essentials Program or a high-speed mobile hotspot for families who are housing inse insecure, mm -hmm. um, the program will ensure K-12 public school students have the devices they need, such as laptops or tablets, and also tech support to keep it all running smoothly. Mm -hmm. The Philadelphia School District recently dis distributed over 128,000 devices um, to students who lack them at home. And we had to, I don't know what kind of program they have in here in Baltimore, but we did have, at one point, had to deliver a whole bunch of laptops at work. Yeah. It was fucking, it was, it was wild. Um, it was almost like every house. Had a laptop. It was getting, it was getting one, <laughs> yep. Um, and then some houses had more than one kid, so they was getting more than one laptop. Mm. Okay, the school district and charter schools will continue to work with the schools and families to make sure that they have resources they need to succeed. The Philly Connected is the first stage of this, the city's largest digital equity um, 
initiative to support digital um, literacy and access for all Philadelphia residents. Mm. The bulk of the funding is is being provided by private foundations, including $7 million from the Comcast U, U, um, NBC Universal Foundation, $1 million each from the William Penn Foundation and Philadelphia School Partners Partnership and others. The city will also use $2 million in Local Cares Act funding without dipping into its general fund, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, Mayor Jim Kenney said it was trans- transformational a transformational moment triggered by the pandemic and the program will go a long way to closing um digital closing the digital divide and um yeah so that's that happened in philadelphia it's kind of amazing how with this going on the whole pandemic yeah and how this was you know this is you know, unprecedented times that we are able to as the time going on as we learn more about this virus that we are adapting yeah and that's been something Baby business, yeah. business, society in general. Um, I've been really amazed at the ability to adapt. Some everybody's not adapting. Some stuff can adapt. It's yeah. just a crazy time. But when I see it happening, it's really cool. Now, what I want to touch on is a little bit of darkness and um, fear that I have because I've had a, I've long had a conspiracy. Uh, it's probably I've had this conspiracy for about six years now. I've discussed it. Actually, it was brought to my attention when all this stuff was going on with these digital learning that um, on episode 44, about 24 minutes, I discussed my theory, which is that the government's going to try to close down all the public schools. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's only you either pay to go to school. Oh, yeah. Or you don't. There's no physical place you go to school and you just learn online. There's They give you some shitty learn online thing. Yeah. And then it's like kids can just be parents kids who both parents work or only have one parent at home and that parent works it's like you just can just say I, oh yeah i logged in and i went to school today yeah you know so and but now with all this stuff happening with the pandemic i'm seeing these things happen and it's, it has a positive spin on it and i think that's beautiful but i'm also leery that they give out all this stuff they oh yeah you're gonna digital learn or whatever and then within the time of the school supposed to be open if these public schools in these low-income neighborhoods close because there's no revenue coming in there's no kids in the school and then you find out like oh yeah your school closed in your district and there's no other public schools around here but you can go to mount mount mary st joseph's it's just a private school you have to pay to go to yeah but we can do a voucher for the first six months i think there's going to be a you know that my theory's not fully flushed out but i have my concerns that this will be the beginning of the elimination of public schools yeah when they give out grants and shit steph does that and they give out grants to some families and assistance right and of course but they don't they're home. not going to give grants to everybody so some people yeah. end up left out in the cold if there's no public school around you yeah. or you have to get on a bus and go to some public school miles away from you and some people aren't going to do that yeah so i think you're going to end up with a lot of kids just like out on the streets because there's no school in their area and becoming criminals possibly prison, school to prison pipeline yeah. now they're just going to eliminate the school part and it's just pipe street to house to pipeline prison. Yeah. You know, and that's my, I hope con- not, man. that's my concern, but kids I, need to be in school. But I think that the, ad- the adaptation is beautiful, but as a person who has had this theory for some time, when you hear like, Oh yeah, well the kids aren't going to go to school. They're going to learn at home on computers. You're like, Oh shit. Well then what about the schools? Like what happens to the schools who need funding and don't, are already hanging on by a thread. And now it's just like, Oh, there's going to be no kids this semester. It's like, yeah. they could end up closing down. 
yeah. you know, or get, or get bought out too. or get bought out by a private school or a charter school, you know? Um, yeah. So that's just my concern. That's my little theory that I have. And this There's jobs too. Jobs will be lost. Oh, jobs, super jobs, jobs yeah. will be lost. You know? Yeah. Um, my good vibes is a little simple. Uh, you and I friend were featured in an, uh, a magazine article in Harper's Bazaar. Harper's Bazaar is a New York based publication. It's a super cool um, magazine. And we were on the 17 true crime podcast for the genre's biggest fans. Nope. And there's some super awesome podcasts on this list. Um, Jensen and holes is on this podcast. They're friends of the pod. They're super cool dudes. Yeah. Um, once upon a crime is on this list. Love once upon a crime. Esther Ludlow's a great person. The fall line is on this list. I love the fall line. Um, Laura Norton has been very helpful to me in doing this podcast and just getting better at doing this whole podcasting thing. And fruit loops as well is on this podcast and they're both they're also very awesome and yours truly fran and i are featured in this list and i don't really get excited for these things often because a lot of the times it's like podcast listener magazine made you one of the podcasts for the summer to listen to but this is a very cool established publication mm -hmm. and it's one of those like it made me feel good to see this because it just is a little tip of the hat to to us and yeah. it's like keep going keep doing what you're doing it's working people are listening and dope. here's a little shout out to you guys so that's my good vibe that made me feel good this week yeah um and that you guys are healthy and that we need that we are officially coronavirus yeah. free both of us sierra got a phone call yesterday saying like hey you can go be around people again you're not you're not dangerous anymore yeah so that's always good health <laughs> health over everything um again listen people Put a mask on. Shit is real. Um, briefly before we get out of here, it was funny. Uh, we got that text message about the b basketball. Oh, yeah. From the person who sets up the basketball. And I was open and honest. And I was like, hey, man, um, yeah, I'm not going to be playing basketball for a while because I got coronavirus when you play basketball. <laughs> nah, you didn't. You didn't, man. You definitely didn't get it from playing basketball. So, <laughs> you know, because nobody else got it. It's like, okay, cool, man. Well, don't worry about it, you know. Yeah. The the odds of me getting – what I did that day was I went to work in the daytime and I went to play basketball at night. At mm -hmm. work, we have to wear masks. We're not allowed to sit next to people in the transport vans that we work in. And nobody's shaking hands or – doing anything everybody's like doesn't want to get sick so the, yeah. you know it, it's either i got sick from a job that is being incredibly cautious or from playing basketball where everybody's spitting when they talk and passing a basketball around yeah. and so i'm not going to go back and forth with that person about where i got sick but my money's on that i got sick playing basketball yeah so i won't be playing basketball anytime soon yeah that's my feelings on the situation and that is the step I, i'm taking is i'm not going to do that anymore yeah because i don't think i got sick at a place where i have to wear a mask and wear gloves and stuff and then i went and left and played basketball and we're slapping butts and yeah dapping each other up knuckles and yeah. all you know so we went on the same team though and we weren't on the same team no. and you didn't get sick and i don't know who went home i don't know who got you know i don't know who got sick maybe nobody got sick i don't know maybe the person that got me sick was asymptomatic i don't know mm. but um i'm standing by what i what I said and you know and so with that being said I have to tell people like you know I know we all want to go do some things to feel normal yeah and, and feel like that little sense of like you know it's not a crazy time but the reality is it is a crazy time and it's just not normal man 
So just my suggestion is make 2020 a wrap. Like you're not going to get to, you know, open up that new club that, you know, you can do brunch parties at and all this kind of, all those things are on hold for a little yeah. bit. Normalcy is not going to, the flag football leagues might need to get canceled. Like it, some stuff is just not going to be able to go down right now. Might be for the first half of 2021. It might so even be for the like... first half of 2021. Everybody's excited about football. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, yeah. until you see somebody suited up on a field, it's not back yet. And everybody's not doing what the NBA is doing. I think the NBA is doing a fabulous job. They yeah, created yeah. this little bubble and all this stuff. Every other sport is not doing that. Baseball, it's like every other week they're like, the whole Oakland Athletics <laughs> is sick. Yeah. So the game's canceled. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man. It's, it's crazy times. And everything's not going to get to just be normal if, if you want it to be. There is stuff going on, and you have to, rec- you have to respect that. Um, so that's my little tidbit of information. Take it how you will. Um, I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Deuces. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.